Hi, I'm Dylan. I'm Sarah. I'm Derek. And we would like to welcome you to Planet Bob, where we talk about the movies and shows that made their way to our little corner of the galaxy this week. We're here with uh, Ken Carlson this week of uh, Dead Drift fame, Ooh. I will say. Fame. Howdy. <laughs> Hello. And he's going to talk to us. Uh, we'll talk 12, with us. Talk with us about 12 Monkeys and Dark City. Two of the best movies of the 90s, I think. Good movies, uh, man. Both good movies. I just watched uh, I just watched 12 Monkeys this morning, and I watched Dark City last night, so just to kind of get a refresher in, you know? We did the opposite. We did uh, Dark okay. City today. Yeah, and 12 Monkeys yesterday. Nice. I didn't find out until today that there's a commentary track on our 12 Monkeys that we could have listened to. There's like oh. two of them. Yeah. So nice. we missed out on that. I feel like commentary tracks are one of those uh, fantastic features that I rarely take advantage of because anytime I decide I'm going to sit down and rewatch a movie, I'm like, oh, I could watch it with the director's commentary. And I'm like, no, I just want to watch the movie. So I rarely listen to director's commentaries. We do it for movies that we watch all the time. Especially so, like, filmmakers we like, like uh, Guillermo Guillermo. del Toro. We love totally, it makes sense. I mean, I understand like the the purpose of it, and it seems like a great idea. It's just like I said, every time I sit down to watch one of the movies, I'm like, eh, I just I just kind of want to watch the movie. So it's a feature that I should take more of an advantage of. I guess is what I'm saying. Sometimes they make them really entertaining. Like uh, Trey Parker does intoxic commentary on some of his movies. They're so good. <laughs> like he gets uh, they get drunk on Cannibal the Musical, and they get drunk and high for Orgasmo. Nice. They're, they're really funny commentaries, and they always end up at the strip club at the end. Yeah, they just kind of descend <laughs> into madness. It's awesome. <laughs> okay, so... Well, hell yeah! Do you uh, have a preference on which movie to start with? Nope. Well, then let's start with uh, 12 Monkeys, I guess, since that was what we watched first. Alrighty. <laughs> We're not going to be nice to you. We're just going to do what's easier for us. It's fine. <laughs> Go the order our notes are in. <laughs> I can handle it. So I think this is the first time I've ever watched 12 Monkeys and actually paid attention. Oh. I'm not going to lie. She's not a huge fan of... Uh, Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Except no, I, 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 I Fear think... and Loathing, which I didn't realize until today was directed by him. Yeah, Fear and Loathing is fantastic. Yeah. I love I, I, that To be perfectly about. fair, Terry Gilliam has a style that is rather slow, and, yeah. and a lot of people get bored by his movies. I don't, I don't think it's uh, unheard of. Uh, I fall asleep watching Time Bandits, like, every time. Yeah, oh, that so was the first do. thing that Dylan and I ever watched together, and I didn't pay any attention to it. Zero. Right. <laughs> no, wasn't into it. I don't have a clue what Brazil is about beyond Mona getting her face peeled back. <laughs> like, I don't That's, know what else. I like, I like that you call her Mona. Um, <laughs> Brazil is about being awesome. <laughs> That's what Brazil is about. Okay, that's fair. Just uh, you know, to put it in simple terms. Well, and yeah. it, it goes with his uh, trilogy, right? Like, there's uh, Time Bandits is about childhood, Brazil's about middle age, and Barrowman Chausen's about old age and death. Right. I just don't care. Yeah. No, they kind of bum me out. I don't know. It is a bummer. Yeah. But this one was good now that I finally listened to it. That you paid attention to yeah, it? Yeah, I didn't yeah. fall asleep or anything. I was proud of myself. And you made it all the way through 12... <laughs> She has a habit of falling asleep to Dark City, but she made it all the way through this time. Yeah, I can see that as well. Dark City, uh, you know, very uh, dark, not a lot going on all the time. It's Quiet. monotone. Quiet, it's very monotone. I think I think 12 Monkeys and Dark City 
both have a lot of similarities that way. Um, you you kind of have to be invested in them and paying attention to it, or it's it's really easy to just lose interest and 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 tune out. You know. Yeah, Twelve Monkeys has that crazy French music though. The, uh, the accordion, accordion music. Yeah. yeah. That jars you back. <laughs> Shades of Weird Al. Yeah, there's no falling asleep to that. No. So we have this we have this thing we call the future past. It's movies that were take place in the future from when they were filmed, but are in the past now. Right. And Twelve Monkeys is a Sort of an example of that? Yeah, it's definitely a future past movie. Three, totally. of, the, three of the time periods it takes place in are in the past now? Right, although when it came out, one of them was the present. Yeah. Uh, the I mean, 96. Yeah. The 96 was the present when it came out. Yeah, but, so the future uh, was the future. The future is still the future for us. Yeah. Indeed. Because that was 30 years in the future, and this was uh, 20 years ago? 96, yeah, 21. Oh, my God. 21 years ago. <laughs> it's yeah, indeed. Indeed we are. <laughs> One of my favorite things about Terry Gilliam movies is the, that you get uh, uh, what I call Gilliam tech. Uh, so any kind of uh, technology is, it's not cyberpunk, it's not steampunk, it's it's Gilliam tech. Yeah, it's somewhere in the middle. Um, it's like... Yeah. And I, I love Gilliam tech. You get a lot of it in Brazil, you get a lot of it in uh, 12 Monkeys and some of his other movies. It's just a hodgepodge kind of mishmash of, of just junk that he throws together. So I think there's probably a lot of Terry Gilliam inspiration for the sets of Dead Drift, you know, and that we just we just threw stuff together. Oh, um, well, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I really I like that weird breathing tube thing. Oh, the spinning this? thing that lets them breathe outside. Because oh, that, that literally looks like they just found some shit in an old kitchen and... Then they made something out of it, and it somehow right. filters air. Duct taped it together, and, and now it's a movie prop. Exactly. Yeah, we exactly. watched the we watched the making of, and they're talking about how they just they ran out of money for props, so they just put they found this old uh, warehouse basically that had machinery in it, and they just repurposed it. Nice. Like the, the time machine tube thing. Right. Yeah, that's just an old part from this industrial machine. Yeah. Pretty much like exactly his- as is. His flashlight when he's out exploring the the frozen wastes of uh, Philadelphia, it's this. Uh, it looks like a tube TV, the tube from a tube TV attached to the end of like a giant battery. But it's just a flashlight, and it's just it's so cool looking because it's not this simple, elegant design of, of like flashlights that we have in the modern era. It's this you know it's this jerry rigged, futuristic uh, Fallout esque contraption, and uh, you know the the sphere with uh, all the little. Tube TVs, the little yeah, you know, two to four inch tube TVs with the eyeballs. I think uh, even even Fallout uh, took a little bit of uh, inspiration from that in uh, the DLC for Fallout Three. I believe it was called Old World Blues. Oh, that yeah, was we, New Vegas. Yeah, yeah in Old World Blues, the, I think they had those, those TVs. Uh, yeah, you meet like eyes through. Yep, exactly. People, but they're they're programmed, I guess. I can't I can't remember it that well. But. Yeah, I don't remember much of it, but I do remember the imagery of, you know, the TVs and uh, the brains in the jars were speaking through to you through these floating TVs. And it immediately reminded me of 12 Monkeys. And I'm like, it's it's cool to see echoes of, of Gilliam tech uh, making their way into other places in the pop culture. Well, that really makes sense in the Fallout world, too. All the, because uh, it's, it's atomic punk, right? Basically? Yeah, I would, that, that works. Yeah, it, it fits the... The Gilliam mold. 
I don't play. I just kind of watch you play sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got We're... lost after games became 3D. <laughs> I can run and jump, and, like, that's it. <laughs> Side-scroller, she's a master, but anything yeah, she has nice. to go forward and back doesn't... No. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> I tried getting her to play Katamari Damashi, and that was just a mistake. I could barely play it. <laughs> okay, so who the hell volunteers him? Is it, like, the leader people? The scientist people? Yeah, they select his name out of a file because he's uh, mentally strong. Oh, yeah. We should we should get this out of the way probably at the beginning. Uh, I view the... the I watched a, a podcast, Junk Food Cinema, and one of the hosts explained this theory where... The 1% of the population that survives is the same percentage of the population that has schizophrenia. Hmm. So the theory goes that everyone that survived the plague is actually schizophrenic, and that's why everyone's so strange in the future. Interesting. And that's why Cole is an okay candidate, because right. he's better at distinguishing reality from non-reality than a lot of the people there. Okay. That's an interesting theory. Um, so even the scientists, then? Yeah. Everyone is somewhere on the spectrum of schizophrenia, from, like, completely out of their mind to, you know, more or less lucid. Functional, right? Yeah. Which is a true reality. Yeah. That is totally. what schizophrenia is. And then that also goes a long way to explain why people from Cole's past keep appearing in the... Or in his present keep appearing in the past. Right. Like, when the security guard at the desk suddenly turns into the security guard from the future... That could right. be him, like losing touch with reality for a moment. Yeah, and that's and that's another uh, a, a string that runs through a lot of Terry Gilliam's films, uh, which is a, a string and a thread that I that I love uh, personally. It's one of the main reasons I love uh, you know Philip K. Dick's writings, uh, and that's what is reality? What's real? Uh, do we know uh, what we're experiencing is reality? What if other realities intrude on it? You know, what if the lines are blurred? Uh, 12 Monkeys, I think, has a lot in common with um, The Fisher King, uh, which is fantastic. And if you, Sarah, if you don't like Terry Gilliam movies, I recommend watching The Fisher King because yeah, it's probably it. one of his most personal uh, and touching because it, it looks at homelessness and mental illness. Um, and, and it's just really fantastic. And I was struck watching 12 Monkeys this morning because it's probably been a few years since I'd seen it that a lot of the environments in 12 Monkeys really reminded me of the Fisher King, like, uh, you know, the mental institution that, that he's in with, um, with Jeffrey and uh, a couple of like the city, you know, Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, gosh, I forgot where I was going with that, but yeah, no, I see what you're saying. It's, it's definitely, you know, yeah, no, it's gone. <laughs> it's, it's totally okay. gone. No, I was going to say like when we were watching it, I kept wondering why if finding a cure is so important you would send all of these unstable, violent people into the past. But yeah, if cause... everyone's slightly unstable, then I guess that kind of makes a little bit more sense. And then when we were watching it later on and Jeffrey's talking about how um, crazy is majority rules, that makes sense. Because if the majority in the future is all just a little bit, I don't like to use the word, but a little bit crazy, yeah. then that's normal. We don't use that word here. Right. <laughs> well, no, it's not nice. I mean... No. Mental illness isn't crazy, but... Oh, I've I like to think that there's a... It's hard not to use a, that uh, word when you have Jeffrey running around. Yeah, Jeffrey is definitely 
that dude's his crazy. <laughs> I like to think that there's a. I read somewhere that the the first line, like if you're writing a novel, the first line of the novel or the first paragraph of the novel should essentially be a, a summation of what your novel is about, what your story is about. And I wasn't necessarily thinking about that when I went in to watch Dark City, but it's the one I watched first. And there was a there was something that happened in Dark City that that immediately brought that to mind because it was it was the movie in a nutshell, in a sentence uh, or an action. So I watching Twelve Monkeys this morning tried to think about it the same way. I'm like, what what happens in the beginning of this movie, or or where is a line in this movie or an event in this movie that surmises the whole movie? Um, and maybe that's it right there with Jeffrey saying, uh, you know, crazy is majority rule, or uh, is that what he said? You just said, yeah. It. yeah. And that also reminded me a lot of uh, Tyler Durden. (laughs) Oh, big time, yeah. But the Dark City director didn't want to start that way. He was actually pretty pissed off that they put in that summary because he thought that all of the information could just be let out at the times that it's supposed to be let out through the movie. Oh, right. No, I'm I'm not talking about about a specific uh, text on screen. I'm talking about something that happened in the movie. Um, yeah, yeah. We can skip ahead to it right now if you want. Yeah, Ken is, Ken is sticking to format way better than we do. Yeah, it's kind of uh, all over the place. In in Dark City, it's not the opening scene, but it's the next scene where John Murdoch knocks over the fishbowl, and he yeah. shatters the fishbowl, and then he saves the fish. Yeah, that's who that's he really Dark is. City. That's yeah. Dark City. That's yeah. the whole movie. He shatters the fishbowl, and then he saves the fish. That's true, yes. So then the fish are the people that he saves? Well, right, yeah, the fishbowl is the city. Yeah. It's the illusion, uh, and he shatters it, and then uh, then he saves the fish. So the fish are the people. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, that's that's the movie right there. See, this is the difference between a, a, a creator and a viewer. Well, yeah, because I was just, <laughs> I teach art, so I was like, oh, the colors. And I was like, Johnny notes about the colors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which we can get totally. to later. But... And Ken is coming at us with huge thematic stuff. Well, I mean, it was—it it kind of struck me like it's never struck me before watching Dark City. But in that in that instant last night when I was watching it, I was like, "Wow!" Because I mean, the city is a fishbowl, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, because a fishbowl is not always a literal fishbowl. Sometimes it's a metaphor for you're living in a fishbowl where a you have myopic vision. You can only see you know what's around you, and that's that's the city. The city was a fishbowl, and he well, and there's he literally just, is there's stuff. he destroyed it. Yeah. yeah, and there's literally is a fishbowl, yeah. <laughs> Especially at the end when he fills it with water. Yeah, yeah. It creates a whole beach out of nothing. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. I wish I could do that. You wish you could just so that's. I was trying to find what that was in <laughs> 12 Monkeys when I was watching 12 Monkeys this morning. If and there was, was a moment like that. And was there a moment aside from the one that you praised Sarah for? <laughs> yeah. You know, I tried looking for it, uh, but I didn't find something immediately, so I kind of then just... Uh, quit looking for it i think that's fair well they're, they're both pretty dense movies there's a lot going on the whole way through in both even though it doesn't seem like it in dark city there's a lot going on thematically yeah i think i think so and and upon there was a question i think that one of uh your commenter commenters had raised about which one holds up better yeah we can get to that now if you want oh i don't i don't care <laughs> yeah that works for me yeah which one holds um, up better we'll go we'll go there right now I, I, I think that Dark City holds up fine from a uh, from a cinematography point of view and from the story. Like, as a casual viewer, I think Dark City holds up fine. But I think for repeated viewings, it does not hold up as well. Uh, if, at least not for me personally. I've seen it 
you know, a, a dozen times. And I'm starting to get to the point where I think I've absorbed pretty much everything there is to absorb about Dark City. Uh, whereas 12 Monkeys, I feel like I've watched it easily just as many times, and I'm still discovering new stuff. Um, and I think a lot of that probably goes to uh, Terry Gilliam and, and and what he brings to the table versus Alex Proyas. Um, Alex Proyas has had you know a couple of great movies, The Crow, Dark City. Awesome. Other than that, it's been nothing fantastic. Well, his um, last movie was what, Gods of Egypt? Yeah. <laughs> and before that, it was Knowing, and I think I skipped Knowing, yeah, even though I heard it was, I, even though I heard it was based off of some Philip K. Dick stuff, or it seemed like it was based off of some Philip K. Dick stuff to me. Um, but Terry Gilliam, like you know, every movie that he does, and granted, he hasn't done a ton, but like almost everything he does is great. There's been a few misfires for sure. Yeah, yeah, I feel like there's more that makes sense in Twelve Monkeys, as crazy as that movie is. Like, when I was watching it and getting dragged into the story and piecing everything together, my brain was a lot more active than when I was watching Dark City. Because for Dark City, for me, I kind of, at one point, went back to the day the Earth stood still. And I was like, are people having surgery? Like, are they knocked out while they're tuning and people are dying on surgery tables? And, like, are people getting crushed by buildings? It just, I don't know. Yeah, you get you get uh, wrapped up in the mechanics accidentally. Totally. Which can be distracting. Well, yeah, because yeah, no, people should like, totally be dying during that whole absolutely. thing. Absolutely. The cars. The cars was a thing that, that hit me last night when I was watching it. Everybody in driving cars on the street falls asleep, and they just kind of slowly put their foot on the gas pedal as they fall, or on the brake pedal as they fall asleep. So yeah. the cars collide. Whereas I'm like, well, you know, if someone falls asleep at the wheel, they, uh, they don't just stop slow. And all the cars slowed to a gentle stop. Well, and I thought too. This is this is kind of weird. Does no one else think it's kind of weird that everyone at midnight has a split second cat nap? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and like you said, have that dude not drown in his soup. Yeah. Yeah. Just face plants and yeah. he's fine. Nobody picks his face up. He's just right. The dude and his wife, they both face planted into their yeah. soup or mashed potatoes or whatever it was. So what I what I went to from that is okay. Time maybe has actually stopped then. Otherwise, they would die if they were breathing in their soup. Oh, that's so, so I was like, that means time has actually stopped. But then it goes to everyone else, like the people in the cars, and they just slowly nod their heads down, and their cars come to a gradual stop instead of like abruptly, instantly stopping. And then there's so also, it was a little little inconsistent in world. And Kiefer Sutherland is, can still walk around just fine. Right, well, he's pulled out of it. Yeah, but I don't know. I just didn't find that level of questioning going on when I was watching Twelve Monkeys. But again, I. Haven't really paid attention the whole way through to 12 Monkeys, so I was pretty invested in, like, let's pay attention and figure this out. Well, there's but not it kind of reminded me of when I would watch Akira. Like, every viewing of Akira was like, oh, I get it a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't and I've been watching that since I was, like, eight years old, so. I don't think there's weird mechanics in 12 Monkeys the way there is in, in uh, Dark City. Like, you have time travel, but that's all... They explain that pretty clearly, I think. Well, I like that it's throw them in a tube, suspend your disbelief. They're going to the past, just trust it. And yeah, you're like, not, okay. There's not too many things where you're like, okay, but how did that work? Whereas right, and I, I think that's because they don't get too much into the technical aspects of time travel. Because it's because, like, like it's look, we can, we can examine the technical aspects of time travel, but then we raise questions, we draw people out of the movie as, as they contemplate it. Or we just say, hey, here's time travel. 
that's what our story is based on. You know, we're going with it. We're not going to explain it. Here it is. Mm-hmm. And that's that. Well, and Cole even tells them right at the beginning when they're, when they're asking him about where he's from, you know, I'm from the future. What year is this? It's 1990. It's supposed to be 1996. Is it 1996 in your present? You know right. what I just thought about? What? Did you ever check to make sure this is working? I, yes. You're sure? It is recording, yes. One time it didn't work. <laughs> I will salvage this. We recorded a whole really good Lost episode and the whole thing was gone. And then we tried to re-record it and it was garbage. Yeah, we, we added more episodes because we wanted it to be a little different, fresher for us. Oh god, it was so bad. We tried to do 16 episodes in an hour and it didn't work. It's like the worst thing we've ever done. Yeah, it's our, <laughs> it is, it's our shame. Uh, and it was a good one and we lost it. Um, cool. Yeah. I have, like, so many notes for this movie, but it's all like disjointed, like the movie. I I said right off the bat that it's one of Brad Pitt's best roles. Agreed. I would. Uh, I, I think it's his best, actually. I think it's where he he is the most uh, not Brad Pitt, if that makes any sense. That makes complete um, sense. <laughs> I think in in every other movie he's in, he is just to me he's the same character essentially. He might have a little different motivations, but he doesn't really ever stretch. Uh, his acting ability, even in uh, Fight Club, which is you know one of my favorite all-time movies, he's still just Brad Pitt. You know, yeah. I love the character of Tyler Durden, and I love that movie, but he's still just Brad Pitt. In Twelve Monkeys, he is he is not Brad Pitt. He's, he's Jeffrey Jones. Exactly. So I I think it's I would be challenged to come up with a, a better performance from Brad Pitt. Do you think it's uh, the <laughs> I think the eye has a lot to do with it, but I think a lot of it is his, uh, you know, his body language and his, he really just inhabits that character more than I've ever seen him do. And it's so early in his career. That's one of the weird parts about it is, you know, he's, I don't think he's topped it. And that was, you know, 1996. No, we watched, uh, we watched the making of video and he's, he's in there with a psycho psychologist learning how to be crazy. Look how, like how to embody Insanity? Yeah, he's like, what would, what would being a paranoid manic person look like, and what would a, like a happy manic person look like, and kind of talking through that, and that's how he figured out a lot of those gestures. Yeah, which is neat. No, he nailed it. He was he was awesome, and uh, I, I I think the same could be said for uh, Bruce Willis as well. Uh, Bruce Willis, you know, ninety percent of the time is Bruce Willis, but in uh, Twelve Monkeys, he's he's a little different. He's not quite. 100% Bruce Willis. Well, this was big action hero days, Bruce Willis. Yeah, so this right. was a completely all those different kids standing him. outside looking for him because of Die Hard. And this is a completely... Well, and now he does. He just doesn't seem like he cares, but he's clearly, right. he's clearly worked on his performance. Speaking of big action hero Bruce Willis, you know, Bruce Willis has made more Die Hard movies since 12 Monkeys than he had before 12 Monkeys. <laughs> Which might be why he hates movies. Talking about feeling old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't tell me things like that. <laughs> I think he had only made uh, two Die Hard movies prior to 12 Monkeys, but there's like five after 12 Monkeys. Oh my god. Yeah, but the good ones were pre-12 Monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> the third one was cool. Yeah, yeah then it was kind of yeah. all downhill after that. The third one benefited from having Samuel L. Jackson. Just Absolutely. stop after three for everything. <laughs> no way. MCU. Well, yeah. Yeah, and Star Trek. Star Trek 4 kicked ass with the whales. It's all about the whales. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but, like, I'm thinking more, like, 
um, Indiana Jones. Stop yeah. at three. Yeah, pretend four, the other one doesn't even exist. Mistake. Aliens, you could just pretend it ended it. Aliens. Yeah, just don't put Shia LaBeouf in it. <laughs> Actually, I, I love Alien 3 and Resurrection. Resurrection, I'm not so big on. 3, I give a pass. I like some of the performances in it, even though it's pretty stupid. It's kind of more of a character movie than an alien movie. Like, you're more focused on who the people in the colony are than the actual alien hunting everyone down. Very, very character-driven. And it's, yeah. it's also important to watch uh, Fincher's, Fincher's cut instead of the theatrical cut as well. That yes. could be my problem. Uh, he was he was plagued by issues uh, on that movie from the studio. I guess they were fighting the whole time it was made. Um, but yeah, watch if you can get a hold of Fincher's cut. Watch that. It's on the it's on the, like the the yep. Blu-rays and stuff. We have the quadrilogy, the big one that takes nine hours to open. Yeah, yeah, I got that one too. You, you can you can watch David Fincher's cut on that one, and it's it's a lot better than uh, the theatrical cut. Obey time, um, but it's still it's still plagued by issues. But yeah, it's very much uh, much more of a of a character study. Of Ripley, not just Ripley, but you know the these prisoners that she's she's isolated with in this world. And to me, that's kind of where most of the drama and the tension comes from in that movie. Uh, the alien is almost you know an afterthought, and it starts to ratchet up tensions. It was cool. I enjoyed it. I don't, I don't hate it. I, I make it sound like I hate things sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like I think that's the most hated alien movie. It is. Well, Resurrection's sure. probably hated more, but yeah, probably. Well, most hated until all the Alien vs. Predator movies started coming out, and then those really took the cake. That's interesting. I didn't know there were Alien vs. Predator movies. <laughs> For real? Or are you just, like, taking them out of your brain? It was a, it was a little deadpan like, delivery there. Take them out and <laughs> they don't exist. That's also a good option. Maybe they got tuned out of your brain. That's kind of how I feel about the uh, the Avatar movie. Like, I didn't realize they made an Avatar movie. That's yeah, it fascinating. is. Fascinating. My sister, like, cried when that came out, so I just didn't even... And I've never watched the actual show. No. So it won't bother. It's, uh, it's my favorite TV show of all time. If you haven't seen the show, there's no point to watch the movie, and if you have watched the, the show, you'll probably hate the movie. No, I, don't, I don't think there's... Like, 100% will hate it. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to watch that movie. I think it's an objectively terrible movie. But if you haven't seen the series, it is my favorite TV show of all time, so I recommend it. We should really watch it. Brittany yeah. says that too. Yeah, I hear I hear nothing but good things. It is great. I've been trying to look at Brad Pitt's list of movies to figure out if there was anything better, and all I can think of is how much I love his character in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, Aldo Aldo Rain, something like that. Yeah, I get my scalps. Won't the scalps? But yeah, other than that, Twelve Monkeys, hundred percent. I, I kind of like that the movie is like. Well, what movie. about the guy on the when he's the guy on the couch? The, the roommate on uh, True Romance. romance. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good character. That was that was pretty good. Don't fucking condescend to me, man. I'll fucking kill you. Is that a gun? Is that a gun? You're cool, man. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a good role. Yeah, but as that, small it, as it was, that I am pretty sure was 100 percent Brad Pitt at that time. Yeah, that's just him. He's just chilling <laughs> on the couch. I like how the the whole movie of Twelve Monkeys is just a. A big time loop revolving around Cole. Yeah. He starts the 12 Monkeys and he's responsible for his own death. Yeah. Yeah, he, he does everything. It's all his fault. I didn't realize I that before because I hadn't, as everyone already knows, paid any attention. So I didn't realize that, like, he's 
the reason that Jeffrey starts it, and then because he starts it, his dad wants to recuse himself from the company, and that's how Crazy Dude takes over everything. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, it blew my mind. <laughs> I had no idea. That's that's a Terry Gilliam movie. Like The more you start to pick it apart, the more you're like, holy, holy shit, what, holy what? <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the logo, that blew my mind. How it's... You know, 12 monkeys going around time, doing the same thing over and over and over again, and then one breaks loose and everything goes to hell. Yeah. It's like, that's cool. Yeah. Never yeah, the, paid that much attention. The making of was very interesting. Mm-hmm. You can learn a lot of things from the making of for movies like this. One of the things I don't know if I noticed on uh, earlier viewings, I'm, I'm sure I did, but I've since forgotten, so it was kind of refreshed for me last night, was uh, the scientist that the... The, the terrorist dude who releases the virus, he sits down on the airplane and he sits down next to one of the scientists. Yeah. And she says she's in insurance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, I had, I had, I guess, maybe previously seen that as ambiguous, but I think, and maybe not. It's, like I said, it's been a long time since I watched it, but last night watching it, I got the sense that for sure she was there to put a stop to it. So uh, I don't think that's possible. No. Everything we see up to that point is you can't change the past. And if she does stop the virus, then she creates a paradox, right? Because Possibly, then, yeah. then the future doesn't experience the virus, so she doesn't send herself back in time to stop the virus. Right. Do you think she gets it on her? Because he has to open the thing at customs and he breathes it in. And then she, like, shakes his hand on the plane. I think she, like, uh, we watched a video right before we record this where a guy pointed out that earlier in the movie... Uh, when Cole is riding in the car with the doctor, that he talks about how he's supposed to to find the vector for the virus, and they'll send someone back right. to work on a cure in the past. I think that's what she's there for. Right, and that and that could very well be. Um, so he did his job. I, I think yeah. either way, it's a it's a positive ending. Yeah. Well, she's, I uh, mean, the future solving. Safe, she's but... solving the issue either way. If if she's getting a sample of the virus to take back so they can work on a cure, you know, pre-mutated, uh, or if she's going to end it at the beginning, which may make less sense mechanically than her just getting a sample, a clean, unmutated sample to take mm-hmm. back yeah. with her. But I think it, it is a positive ending, and so that's that's good, I think, and that's very un-Gilliam-like. Most of his movies don't have happy endings. In, in a way, if the, if the schizophrenia thing is true, the, the theory that we discussed earlier... Right. That means that humanity will be forever plagued with schizophrenia because there's a genetic component, right? Right. So everyone will be affected with schizophrenia yeah, but two for the rest of humanity. Parents don't necessarily make a schizophrenic child. No, but it's, there's going to be a very high prevalence of schizophrenia in humanity from that point forward if everyone already has it. I just, I don't know if the point of the movie by the end of it is to be happy that they're going to find a cure because I could really give a shit about any of those future people. <laughs> they were kind of all scary, horrible humans. And you don't get to know anybody there. No, they're all kind of distanced and like behind clear plastic. Like they're not real people. Um for me it's like, oh he's he watched his own death. Like it's sad. I don't know. I don't know if I liked enough of the people in the future to care. That and everyone that you got to like in the in the past is gonna die. Yeah. Maybe we're supposed to like Janet Rayleigh enough to want her to live. 
Maybe. I thought she did a really good job. Yeah. Yeah, no, Madeline Stowe's class act. Yeah, she didn't... Whatever happened to Madeline Stowe? I, I asked know. when we were watching. Whatever happened to her? Because she's good. Time. Just one of those actors that couldn't... Uh, she probably got old and got like one, one wrinkle and it's all over yeah. from there. <laughs> it's unfortunate, and uh, but kind of true, is that uh, the shelf life for uh, leading women is pretty short. Yeah. Um, there, there have been a few that have been able to... Uh, you know, get some longevity out of it. You know, your Mel Streep's and your uh, Helen Mirren's and stuff like that. You um, are like to be, better now. You right, have to be getting like better. Top notch, or you have to completely reinvent yourself. Yeah. Yeah, because really all we have is like Julia Roberts and who I have a problem with because well, and I, and she's rich enough that. And I'm sorry, Julia Roberts, but like she's gotta have had some work done because she looks exactly the same. <laughs> but like really good work because that woman still looks just as good and that's not normal I don't have a problem with Julia Roberts per se I just have a hard time with her as a romantic lead because she looks so similar to her brother and I was more familiar with him <laughs> you just see Eric Roberts so whenever I see her in a movie I just see a female <laughs> Eric Roberts and it's <laughs> I didn't realize movie. that Eric Roberts was Julia Roberts' brother but uh, it makes perfect sense now that you mention it that you can't um, unsee it. You'll go watch a Julia Roberts movie and be like, oh, yeah, I, well, I'm not a huge fan of Julia Roberts anyway. She's, I think, she's too cute, I think, is, is what it is. Cutesy? This might, like, this might cure that. Like, like, a, like a kitten, kind of, like, you know what I mean? Like, like cute, 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 like Hello Kitty cute. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, but no, uh, sorry. <laughs> I want to find out if Madeline did anything now. I remember seeing, that's what it was, I remember seeing a movie with Madeline Stowe and I think Kevin Costner, I might be wrong, but it was on really late on like HBO one night in the late 90s and I remember Miguel Ferrer was in it as well, but it was this shitty B-grade, you know, direct-to-cable movie that, that never released in the theaters or anything and it was just terrible, it was a terrible movie. And that was the last thing I ever remember seeing Madeline Stowe in, and that was probably in like '97 or '98, maybe '99. Um, but the fact that both Kevin Costner and Madeline Stowe were in it, I was like, wow, they're the, both of these actors are, are having trouble getting uh, the kind of roles that they were getting in the mid '90s. And maybe that's uh, what hurt their career so bad. Okay, here we go. TV movie, TV movie, TV movie, show, TV movie, show. Okay. So she's been on TV. So she moved to TV. Yeah, she was doing Revenge, which I never watched. No, me either. Yeah, I never heard of it. Yeah, so she's making money, but she's not big like she used to be. Right. She's still working, which is good. I mean, the only two main huge things that I can remember that she was in were Last of the Mohicans and Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, those are the two things that I recognize off the top of her IMDb profile. Well, and I think, too, a lot of actors, when they get older might move towards TV because it's stable. Like, you're yeah, in you one don't. spot, you're working in one place, you're not all over the world. Like, you can have your kids and, I don't know. I think like unless, unless you're one of the ones that's in super high demand and makes just a ton of money, you just kind of take what you can get. That's fair. That's To, to stay working. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that makes sense. I would. Yeah. Totally. All the TV movies. Maybe she'll come to Sudbury. <laughs> Maybe. We have lots of TV <laughs> movies that are filmed here. It's all we do. Hallmark movies. I liked how at times uh, twelve Terry Gilliam almost tries to get you to think that Cole is crazy, mm-hmm. like when they swap in the the security guard from the future and things like that. Mm-hmm. But then at other times they're 
it's not possible that he's just crazy? No, it's totally, I don't think, possible that he's just crazy, but he is crazy. And I think yeah. there's definitely windows into that, like the voice that talks to him that calls him Bob all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, so it's, it's definitely, I think, put out there to mislead you into thinking that maybe this is all in Cole's head, but I don't think it ever sells that. Well, and there's things that are impossible if he's just crazy, like disappearing from that, that room where he, was, where he was tied up or just disappearing yeah. in the pond. Like she right. was right there. He's gone. No footprints, right. nothing. I just like and him predicting how... the, the hoax with the kid in the well. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's cool that as, like you said, as he starts to think that maybe, okay, he is crazy, she believes him more. Yeah. So the more she believes him, the more he thinks he's just nuts. Yeah, on his last trip, they completely reverse roles. She completely believes him, and he's questioning everything. Right. He's ready to turn himself in, and she's she's totally bought into to his worldview, even though she doesn't really understand what's happening. Right. There's just like that photo is what put her over the edge. Seeing him in that World War One photo with right. uh, What was that guy's name? Miguel. Jose. Jose. I knew and the fact that he had a that the, the ballistics said that the bullet they pulled from his leg was pre nineteen twenty. Yeah, and it you know that in combination with the, seeing him the photograph of him in World War One that was enough. I mean, there's there's no way she can explain that rationally. So what he's saying right. has to be true, and she's rational enough to realize that. And rational enough to know that no one else would believe her. Yes, because she doesn't tell anybody. Well, that's, that's part of why I didn't understand why they would send Bruce Willis into the past, because you'd think they would brief someone. Like, okay, you're going to go in the past, and you're going to pretend to be homeless because you're dirty and you don't know what's going on, but just, like, avoid people and avoid police and just quietly try and do your job, and instead he lands and, like, immediately ends up tossed in jail and then a yeah. psych ward in the loony bin with Jeffrey Owens, which is not where anyone should be. (laughs) (laughs) No. And he even gives Brad Pitt the idea for the 12 monkeys. I feel bad for everyone in that place. Being in there with Brad Pitt's character, not good. He really likes his his chair. (laughs) Yeah, he does like his chair a lot. I like that. Fetch! (laughs) He's just such an asshole to everyone he lives with. And just climbs in the guy's bed when he's talking to Cole at the... When Cole eats the spider, Jeffrey just climbs over the other guy and huddles up with him in bed. Yeah, like that's yeah. very Renfield. Don't eat the spiders. <laughs> I like that the scientists suggest that he try that again. Like eat more spiders? <laughs> yeah. They said How are they going to get the spiders out? I have no idea. I'm pretty sure spiders lose versus stomach acid. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> For sure. I think, they, I think they may have meant to put it in container next time. Yeah, that'd be better. Not this container. Yeah, he just didn't have the <laughs> container. <laughs> not the container filled with corrosive acid that breaks down everything. Yeah, yes, not that one. That's a bad choice. <laughs> what else I got? I wrote a lot of stuff, but it's all incoherent. <laughs> <laughs> I have one here that's uh, Cole. All I see is dead people is completely spot on. Every single person he interacts with is already dead from his perspective. There's nothing he can do to save anybody. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. You don't really care. Like when Madeline, when Madeline Stowe, when Madeline Stowe asks if he killed the guy that attacked him, he's like, "All I see is dead people. Right. He's dead. You're dead. That guy's dead. Everybody's Everyone's dead. dead." Yeah, it would be easier to take people out that way. Yeah, you wouldn't care because everyone from your perspective is already dead. 
I like, though, that he stops doing that because she gets upset. Like, he wants to make her happy. Yeah. So he doesn't kill the psycho pimp dude that breaks into the house, like, into the room. Yeah. Just drags him into the bathroom to rip his teeth out in front of the guy. I didn't really understand why he did that. <laughs> Maybe to keep her away from him? Maybe. Or him away from her? Keep them separate? You gotta keep them separated. Yeah, because he was gonna totally try and kill Madeline still. Yeah. Makes sense. Keep her safe while he extracts his tooth. Teeth. Freak him out. It, that mission accomplished. Well, that would freak me out. <laughs> Someone ripped their teeth, their molars out in front of me. What crazy dentist was up here? <laughs> so what was with uh, the homeless guy? I don't know. Was he was he actually from the future, or was he just another just another uh, crazy dude? I'm gonna go with that he he, in the past, he's the crazy dude, and in the the Cole's present, he's just a voice in Cole's head. Hmm. It's part How of how many years difference is there? Thirty years. Between when the virus is released and the and Cole's present, it's thirty years. So it is technically our past. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I didn't pay that much attention to what he looked like. Like if one could be a past version and one could be a future version. I don't think he was represented in the future uh, by any of the scientists. Like, n- none of them caught my eye. None of them looked distinctly like him. No. No. Yeah, because we just hear his voice. We don't actually see him, right? Yeah. Right. But I thought the one version that he talked to in 96 was from the future. That's I what, think, that's what he said. I think that guy is just crazy, and that's, his, that's the delusional world that he lives in. Like, the guy earlier who was talking about Sometimes I go and visit Alien Planet. Yeah. I'm part of a, an oh, yeah. intelligent elite. I, think, I like that guy. I think that was just the crazy guy's delusion. when With the suit and the bunny slippers. Yeah. I liked him. And when Stowe comes back later and interacts with him, he's forgotten that delusion. I think, I think he's just a crazy guy, and of, in the future, he's uh, Cole's inner monologue. He's the voices. Or, or that guy in the bunny slippers, his little speech about being mentally divergent and creating alternate realities. Maybe that's what encapsulates the whole movie. And the whole story unfolds in young Cole's eyes in the airport when he sees this man get shot and this woman running after him screaming. He unfolds that whole story in his mind. So it all just happens in that kid's mind because he's mentally divergent. (laughs) Or did that just blow your mind? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Any of that uh, Tim and Eric gif? I mean, it's it's certainly a possibility. Um, with things like this, when you try to look for alternate explanations, alternate uh, facts, as it were, <laughs> to to maybe you know just try to see it from different angles and In see movies, what, what other possibilities there might be. Yeah, totally. <laughs> In reality, not so much. So it's entirely possible that the uh, the whole story just unfolds in that kid's head. That could work, but then like that's. I don't know. That's to a me, lot to me for that, a kid to understand. And to me, that cheapens the story a little bit. It's. I mean, there's not a whole lot of other stuff pointing to that being what hap- What is the case? But just interesting to think about, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to think about these things, but I don't know if it works. Oh. Well, and it's see when you think about motivations, like would he have turned into the same person and been in jail and needed a pardon and everything if he hadn't watched that murder like would he be violent and if he hadn't seen himself die in front of his own eyes yeah so would any of this none of this probably would have ever happened if he hadn't viewed himself dying like 
Like, if he was late to get to that flight that day, and he didn't see himself die, would any of this have happened? That's part I think of why I like this so much. It folds it's in on It's definitely itself. an Ouroboros. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it is a self-contained paradoxical loop that, uh, you know, all of the events essentially aren't possible without all the other events. They all kind of set everything in motion, and it, it contains itself in this loop. Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, Cole basically, like you said earlier, Cole's presence instigated the creation of the 12 monkeys, which brought Jeffrey's dad to pull himself back from his research, which allowed the crazy dude to, you know, undetected, steal the virus and create the end of the world. So it's very, very much a loop. Yeah. On a day when everyone's distracted by giraffes running down the freeway and... Right. Well, and that's another thing. The future was deceived by that with all the 12 monkeys posters... Totally. Saying we did it, they yep. did do it. They just didn't know. They didn't have the context for what was done. Right. They did something else. They misunderstood. That was pretty cool special effects, actually. With the giraffes, the giraffes and all the animals getting yeah. free and yeah, for a long time I didn't realize. Think about it. I didn't realize so many of them were computer generated either. But not the bear. No, the bear was for real. Apparently, it was a pain <laughs> in the ass too, trying to get the money to pay for the bear. Everyone was like overpricing their bears. <laughs> I thought it was funny too how, on repeat viewings, it's it seems blatantly obvious who's actually behind it. But the movie focuses so hard on the twelve monkeys and Jeffrey that right. you don't notice the guy who's actually clearly being set up to be responsible. Right. Going to to rallies, book signing, and he's being super creepy talking about extinction events and totally. And yeah, twelve later, monkeys is very much a very much a red herring. Yeah, and like why. Like, on repeat viewings, you wonder, how did I miss that guy? How did I not pay attention to the guy who's acting super creepy? And I guess it's because Jeff, Jeffrey's crazy that you want to believe that it's him. Right. He's been institutionalized. Well, and like you said, when we were watching the movie and I saw that actor, I was like, okay, he's going to be a bigger part. But I think that's only because I recognized him from current movies. I don't think that dude right. was anyone at the time. Yeah, he wasn't as big then. No. Not nearly as big now. As, as now, rather. Yeah, yeah. like I recognized him. I'm like, okay, that guy's a legitimate actor. But yeah, at the time, I don't think I would have. And that might have colored my view of the film. So I'm like, that guy's coming back. Well, he's right. got to have something to do with the plot. Why yeah, you're like, that, that guy's not going to just pop in for that one scene. He's Exactly. And I think even, even what he's saying kind of fed into that a little bit. Um, the clues were definitely there. But very much... Uh, the intent was to trick you into thinking that it was Jeffrey and the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. So it's a it nice su surprise, title. you know, yeah. nice surprise reveal at the end when you realize it's not him. Oh, oh and there's even a flashback memory that Cole, that James has, where he sees the man in the yellow coat with the ponytail, and he turns to look at James, and it is Jeffrey's face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In one of the flashbacks. Yeah, in one of Cole's dreams. Yes. To me, that's just. Uh his mind trying to fill in things that he can't he can't right. put together in his brain. Right. Like, to him it doesn't make sense that he watched himself get killed. Right. So he Well, how would that make sense? It's so crazy. The, the people that he interacts with end up influencing his dreams, which aren't aren't objective reality. You have to like protect well, yeah, and, your own uh, mind. Uh, Stowe's character even says at some point when he says it was you in my dream, she says that you're just putting people in your dreams that you've met now. Yeah, so she and, alludes to something. And he's like, no, he's like, no, it was always you. Yeah, and 
Late, well, of course, we find out that he was right, right. And that his dreams are not right. I don't think that he ever realizes that he's that kid. Maybe in his dying moments when he's stroking Madeline's face right before he dies. Right, but see, it never makes a point of showing him make eye contact with the kid, but it that's makes true. a point of showing her make eye contact with the kid. So I think she realizes that that's James Cole, but I don't think James ever realizes or makes that connection that he's he's there watching himself die. Yeah, he might not he might not even be aware of what day it was when he saw that or any of that. Right, or and he certainly, as a child, doesn't realize what he's watching. No. Well, and. I think it's important that it comes to him as a dream and not so much a memory because dreams are just our way of dealing with things and I don't know if he recognizes that it's an event that happened to him and not just something he's... Yeah, he might have, like, psychically blocked it from himself, like... Uh, well, tr any traumatic event, right? People like to put happen. up a wall in their brain to save themselves from it, so... Yeah. right. I don't know if him being in the same place would even... Like, he wouldn't even tumble to it that it was exactly the same location. Yeah, he just, when they walked in, he's like, I've, I've been here before. He yeah. recognizes it, but he doesn't, he, doesn't, he really. doesn't fully recognize it. So, yeah, that makes sense. Well, and how old's that kid? I think they said he was, he was eight. eight. Yeah, I don't remember anything that well from when I was eight. No, that's true. <laughs> and we're not schizophrenic. No. And having been through, like... A trauma there, and then and the trauma of, yeah, the entire planet going extinct, yeah. There's just a couple things that happened in his life that were <laughs> big events, just Just few. one or two. Yeah. <laughs> None of that's traumatic. Like, <laughs> everyone he knows is dead, whatever, no biggie. Everyone is well dead. Super, super dead. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't have any more notes for uh, 12 Monkeys. Shall we continue on? You want to do Dark City? You ready for Dark City? Sure. <laughs> cool. This is uh, Ambien the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I made a note about that. Dark City is theatrical Ambien for Sarah. Yeah. If I can't yeah. sleep, I tell Dylan, like, okay, get Dark City. We're going to go upstairs and watch it, and I'm out in, like, ten <laughs> minutes. Not even. Five That's how ten. I feel about uh, Blade Runner and Dune, and those are both two of my favorite movies. That's true. We but, should do Blade Runner and Dune. And they Let's work do the another one of these. That'd be fun. Okay. Blade Runner's awesome. My sister hates it, and I don't understand. Because she's wrong. Yeah, she's wrong. It's, it's my favorite movie to fall asleep to. The, it's uh, relaxing. <laughs> they're similar. It is. The soundtrack, the soundtrack is super chill. I can yeah. doze off any time to it. All three of these movies are all kind of monotone, too. Like they're, The dialogue is delivered in a very flat way. Yeah. And Sarah actually made a point that maybe everyone is so monotone in Dark City because no, no one is really actually living. No one's living. Right. They're, they're alive, but no one is living. They're kind of in a suspended uh, suspended state. Well, yeah, there's not really any emotion. No, except for Jennifer Connelly and, I uh, can't remember his name, Murdoch. John Murdoch. Yeah, he even is kind of relaxed for someone who's recognizing that his entire world is fake. Well, and you can, every now and then, when he looks at Jennifer Connelly, you can see affection in his eyes. They don't overplay it, though. Yeah. I think the most emotion he shows throughout the whole movie is in a flashback of him when uh, when the doctor implants the alien guy with John Murdoch's memories, the serial killer me serial killer memories. Mm -hmm. He flashes back to when John Murdoch found out that that she cheated on him, and he kind of comes home and he like throws stuff and he yells and and screams. I think that's the most emotion that that anyone shows in the whole movie. 
Yeah, everyone and, else is very And Mr. Book, I think at the end, when he realizes that everything's going to hell, that dude gets mad. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's coming from those guys? It was kind of jarring for me to see that much raw emotion from the crazy from the spider villains. jellyfish. Tentacle, tentacle aliens? Yeah. There are um, enough of those in fiction. Yeah. Do you guys do you guys mind if I grab another beverage real quick? No, go no, for go it. Go for it. Sweet. The Epic Film Guys podcast is a film comedy podcast with two best friends celebrating everything we love about going to the movies. We've got great beer, amazing guests, and quirky characters unlike anything you've ever heard before. Usually Nick makes me wait. He wants to try to give me cinema blue balls and make me wait until the night of the podcast. I will no, go so he... far as to say that I thrive on giving Justin cinema blue balls. I remember being a young man and my mother telling me I didn't have a name because I was illegitimate. I don't know what that word means. <laughs> Well, I just assumed you were drinking that chocolate stout that you were going to make with the cheapest crap chocolate ice cream in the Miller Lite. I hide. I'm sitting here and I'm hiding. I'm in the darkness. Subscribe to the Epic Film Guys on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, or your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you at the movies. Your guide to cinema etiquette for the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews Podcast. Question 17. When choosing a seat at a largely empty movie cinema, do you... A. Sit directly in front of another person. B. Sit right alongside a couple clearly enamored with one another. Or C. Take a seat away from other patrons that afford you a good you. If you answered A or B, fuck you! For more useful cinema etiquette, join Paul and Wayne on the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast at Podomatic on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. All right. <laughs> and we're back. I we're not live, are we? No. Okay. <laughs> I have to edit all the dead air out before I do that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. suppose I should have asked if we were live before I uh, just walked away. <laughs> So Sarah thinks that we should do that Dune show. So you're going to have to come back. Okay. I know this is very difficult for you. No, that's fine. I'm down. I was being facetious, really. That's cool, too. It's not that hard to have a chat in your basement, right? No. <laughs> as long as you're cool with me hating the ending. Hating D&D? The, the end of Dune. Oh. <laughs> I don't care. I'm not, I'm not, I have no personal attachments to the movie. It's just, I watched it. Uh, my dad. It was one of my dad's favorite movies in the '80s when I was growing up, and he had a VHS. Uh, he had taped it when it was on HBO or something like that, so he would watch it constantly. Um, and I would watch it constantly because he was watching it. It was just one of those things that we did on a Saturday afternoon when it was rainy, and uh, I grew to love it. But I know I recognize that it is a really boring movie and uh, vastly inferior to the book. Um, but I still, yeah. I still love the hell out of it. Oh, I think it's great. The Children of Dune miniseries is really good. Just the Dune miniseries is good. Also, yes. It, it follows the book. It's yeah. accurate. I mean, mm-hmm. the movie's good. Like, I took a science fiction literature class in university, and our prof, he's like, okay, everyone should watch Dune, but you need to turn it on mute and put on Pink Floyd, and then right before the ending, <laughs> just shut it off. <laughs> I was like, yes, okay, I can get behind that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But we studied the novel as well. and Right. That I, was a funny class. 
I mean, I one of the things movie, I think it's, it's just that uh, like it gets to the end and it rains. Yeah. Which would kill the sandworms, which would destroy the <laughs> the entire galactic economy. It's right. just Everything like twelve monkeys, and then everyone dies. There you go. <laughs> end of the world. I, so I think it's always same. important to remember, and I and I always try to keep this top of mind, especially when you're watching something that is uh, an adaptation of a of a different source in a in another medium, um, whether it's a retelling of a fairy tale or a myth, uh, or an adaptation of a comic book or a novel. Um, and a lot of people expect they they want when they see a movie based on a book they love or a comic book they love, they want the movie to be a faithful you know, 100% straight adaptation of the source material. And, and I think a lot of times people don't realize that, that, that a movie in and of itself is, is it's, it's a retelling. It's its own form of art. So you're never going to get that 100% faithful adaptation because there are certain things that work in movies that don't work in, in comics or books. And there are certain things in books that don't work in movies. Like, um, so yeah, I, it's definitely not a perfect translation, but it is. It's a, it's just a different telling of that story. Um, is it the definitive telling of the story? No. Usually, the origin, the original story, is the definitive telling of it, uh, as is the case with Dune or, you know, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? But you know, Blade Runner is not Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. No, it's a it's a completely like different, that. you know, completely different thing. And Same for a very long movie. time, I was I was I hated that. Like I hated that the movie was never a faithful adaptation. Uh, but over time I've come to uh, actually admire the fact that most movies aren't because, because it is a different medium and it, and it has its own requirements. And as a creator myself, like if I, if I take a source material like I'm doing right now with uh, this comic book called Penny Palabras, I'm, I'm kind of shaping my own retelling of the story and I'm changing a lot of things about it. And I know that a lot of people will be upset about that because they'll be like, this isn't 100%, you know, faithful to the comic book. And I'm like, no, it's, it's not it because can't be. you're it seeing the be. story now through someone else's eyes. Someone else is, is spinning this yarn. So it's going to have their, their touches on it. And, well, and, uh, and sometimes that one's up good, sometimes bad. Sorry, I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> no, it's true. Like you're my, uh, my version of a drawing of something or a painting of something or a sculpture of something. It could be exactly the same subject, but they won't look the same totally so that yeah that makes sense to me and my issue is always if you want a one-for-one reproduction of the original story go to the original story right why do you want it in a different medium it doesn't like right i want something new i think a lot of people have this idea that that movies or cinematic adaptations are the end-all be-all of a story's life like that once it's made it to the movie, that becomes the definitive version. There's no need for it to be adapted or interpreted again. Um, it's finally a movie. You know, I remember being one of these people in the nineties. I'm like, I want to see an X-Men movie and that'll be it. Then I'll be done with the X-Men. And it's like, no, no, I'm not. There's never been an X-Men movie. That's been as good as the X-Men comics. And I don't think there ever will be. And that's fine because they're, they're two very, very different things. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it was the new Robin Hood movie by Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott made with Russell Crowe. Did you guys ever see that? Yeah, back in the day. I think. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's or not that was great. The new one. Yeah. Which one? It's not great no. by any means. Russell Crowe? No, I have not seen that. No. No. So Maybe Russell Crowe. Prince of Thieves? What? That's not Russell Crowe. No. I'm asking, is that what you were thinking? <laughs> yes. Okay. No, this one's newer than that. This one came out like four or five years ago. Yeah, I was thinking like Brian Adams. <laughs> no, not, not Brian Adams. <laughs> this is the one where. Uh, 
Russell Crowe as Robin Hood is directed by Ridley Scott. It's not a great movie, but it's a fun movie. This is the one where Robin Hood basically invents the Magna Carta. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. It's silly. It's not a faithful retelling. It's an interpretation of the story. I think you just need to get the heart of the story. I think that's why some adaptations work and some don't. Like, that's why Ender's Game was so crappy. Well, they tried to cram everything into one movie. Well, and you just didn't care. Like, I didn't care about Ender at all. And in the book, you do. You really get to know him, and you don't in the film. And that's what's missing. Like, Mm -hmm. you could change a bunch, you could leave things out, but if you don't have the feeling, then... It's all gone. It's uh, like uh, Watchmen. I really like the movie. I really like the comic book. But the movie is not the same. You can't look at them as the same. Really. Yeah, they're not the same. The no, same. the movie, the movie, the Watchmen doesn't come anywhere close to capturing the the essence of of the comic book. And the uh, same same with Ender's Game. It completely misses the mark of the book. Um, it's tragic. It's hard. To, it's hard to recapture that stuff. You know. And it's hard to sometimes. It's hard to get that essence. A lot of the story for Watchmen is there, but the I feel like the heart is cut out of the movie somehow. I don't know what happened in the translation, because it's almost a shot-for-shot shot translation. But certain things don't work. Like, you know the the bum walking around in the background. You know that's Jackie Earl Haley. You know that he's Rorschach, but you don't you don't know that immediately in the comic book? He's just I kind of subtly there with his sign for certain scenes. I have a theory on why Watchmen, the movie, did not come anywhere close to the comic book and and it might just be for me personally but um so i take it you read the co- you've read the comic yeah mm-hmm. and you've seen the movie so in the comic there's very much a sense of the doomsday clock right you keep going back to the doomsday clock yeah there is very much a sense of impending doom there is very much the sense that this world is teetering on the edge of an apocalypse um there's a bunch of political stuff that's going on um you know, the world is on the brink of, of, of nuclear annihilation, essentially. And this clock is ticking. So that sense of urgency penetrates everything that happens in the comic. Like, everything that's going on, you, you know that this is a world on the brink. And you, they often I don't, show the scientists with the clock. That's not translated to the movie at all. Yeah, that's, I that's true. I, I, I don't think I ever that. remember getting the sensation of urgency during the movie. Like, that, that is, it's just absent. I hadn't thought about that because I'm so I think that's a big part familiar with the story going in, so it right. didn't occur to me to think about how it how it's viewed from uh, the perspective of not having read the comic. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I think the movie is just completely missing that sense of urgency of of impending doom of being on the brink, um, and that's and that's you know the Watchmen was a product of the '80s, and so it was very much trying to capture that you know United States versus Soviet Union Cold War you know brinksmanship. And and Alan Moore captures that completely in the in the book. Um, completely, they just got rid of that from from the movie completely. So it's it's not there at all. And that's an important part of that story is the era when it takes place. You know, the eighties. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, well, we might be moving towards that now, but I don't want to really talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Set and setting are are important characters. I think it's true. And and if we're going to be talking about Dark City, set and setting is one of the most important characters. Setting is everything. It's beautiful in this movie. So what I was noticing was the use of color. I mentioned that earlier. So everything is dark. It's very film noir. There's there's really nothing going on except every time they show Murdoch, there's green. So when they start when they when they first come in on him and he's in that bathtub, I was like, holy shit, those tiles are like 
glowing. They're like beautiful emerald glowing tiles. And then it comes in again when we see Jennifer Connelly. The hell's her character's name? I can't remember. I don't remember. They, when we see her for the first time, she's in a green sequin dress among a sea of black. Right. So we're like, they're linked. Those two go together. And then they did the same thing when we meet his uncle. He goes to that Neptune's Deep or whatever the hell it's called. And the eyes are like crazy green beacons in the dark. Mm. So it's like, that's a Yeah. Every time something links to him, there's green. And then anytime there's something that he wants, like a woman that he wants, it's red. So the, the prostitute who helps him out and gets him out of the automat... <laughs> Everything about her is red, her lips, her uh, dressing gown, her walls, the beaded curtains, everything's red. And then at the end, when he wants to have a real, true relationship with Jennifer Connelly, she's wearing red. So it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of an interesting use of that that I'd never noticed before. Yeah. Probably be because I fall asleep in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> but I don't know. I really like that because everything else is either green or, or I mean black or like, like a beige, like illuminated. There's a lot of brown. sick, a lot of sick yellows in there too. Yeah. Like yellow ochre, like muted, not really a color colors. Absolutely. Beautiful art direction in that movie. Um, and that's, you know, all the stuff you're talking about, the greens connecting to Murdoch, which, I mean, maybe if you want to think about green as uh, life and renewal um, and red as desire. So that, that all makes perfect sense. And it, it came across. And I was just looking up last night, the director of photography on Dark City is the same director of photography from uh, Prometheus and The Martian. He's probably done a lot of other, other cool stuff. But, makes uh, a lot of sense. Beautiful movie, for sure. Well, beautiful movies. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> They're all pretty amazing. I mean, that's what I enjoyed most about Prometheus. It was just the look of it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, the look Love. and feel of that movie. Because even if you don't like the story and it pisses you off that it wasn't an alien movie, it's still gorgeous. Yeah, the story still makes me angry, but it is a joy to behold. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. there's not a frame in that movie that is not gorgeous. Well, that's how I felt the whole time we were watching Suicide Squad. <laughs> this movie sucks ass, but it's really pretty. <laughs> I tried to give that movie a chance. I gave it so many chances, and in the end, I was like, "Oh, I see what they were trying to do, but just completely off the mark." Yeah, for it's, me, it was all visuals. It's, the, it's what got me through. There's yeah. just it's a bloated mess. <laughs> Pretty much. I don't, know. I don't. The only good thing I can say about it is that it was shot well. It looks nice. <laughs> yeah, it was schizophrenic, like James Cole. Yeah. Yes, true. Only less aware. Yeah, <laughs> not aware at all. <laughs> I think it's cool, too, how this movie jumps us into characters. So his memories are erased, so we know just as little about what's happening as he does. Yeah, I like movies like that. And then like it that. kind of slowly unfolds as he learns things. He's our we avatar. We know more than he does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that about it a lot. I also loved William Hurt. He was the perfect uh, cop in that yeah, movie. He was great in this. He's, he's confused by everything that's going on, and you get the, very much the sense that he's just... You know, he's just a regular dude trying to make sense of a crazy world. And uh, he, he gets dragged along with uh, John Murdoch and uh, and his wife. I forgot her name. Her name's Anna at the end. I remember that. Yeah, yeah I, I remember that too. I don't remember yeah, what it was before it was changed was. to Anna. Um, but, he, you know, they finally drag him along, kicking and screaming. Um, and he comes with them, and he's he embraces, you know, the, the, 
the newness of, of what they're discovering. He's the and, Madeline uh, Stowe of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their journeys are, are mirrored. Indeed. Yeah, and he does a really good job, but he doesn't stand out. Yeah. Yeah, he just kind of fits in beautifully. And I really liked Eddie's character as well. Not even so much his character, but the design around him. Like when you walk into his office and it's completely insane and there's oh, yeah. drawings everywhere and then you walk the into his house. Yeah. 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 And I liked what they did with the set in the house because all the proportions are totally off. So, And I was trying to get a really good look at it, but like the fireplace almost goes straight to the ceiling, like the opening of the fireplace. Like, that's not right. And then the police officer guy you guys were just talking about is sitting on a chair, but the chair is tiny, and he's almost sitting right on top of this entire armchair. So the set makes you feel just as crazy as the guy feels trying to figure all this out, and it doesn't make any sense. And Right. I just thought that was really well done. And I look at stuff like that and I think how much work would go into making that set. <laughs> like, I don't want to sit there with a crayon and draw on a wall for 45 <laughs> hours just to get this set. It's amazing. That's a that's a great art department and art direction there when, you know, they're trying to get you into the head of a character, you know, just with the setting. Yeah. You know, just with it's their like furniture uh, and their walls. Seven? Were you seven. seven? Yeah. I was like, what's that dude's name? With all the Does notebooks. Have a name? John Doe. Yeah. His character is John Doe. And they made every one of those notebooks. They're filled. Like someone dark, hand dark city, wrote dark that city shit. reminds me in a lot of ways of Seven. I was thinking about it when I was watching it. Um, and mostly mostly visually, you know. Yeah. With uh, the grit, the grittiness and the, and the color palette um, is very reminiscent of Seven to me. Which is another beautiful movie. That is dirty. It's it's a you know dirty subject matter, and it's photographed wet. beautifully. Yeah, yeah it's, it's wet and wet it's filthy. I always I always hearken back to the the garbage truck scene in the alleyway. I think as the scene that sticks out to me the most from Seven, just visually, and that that reminds me a lot of Dark City. Yeah, and I think of them getting in the car, and it's just pouring. And you're like, no wonder Morgan Freeman wants the hell out of that city. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't want to yeah. live there either. And I get that with Eddie, like why he would want out. Like I've tried to find a way out of this city and there isn't one, so I'm going to take my own way out and he jumps in front of the train. If he had waited a day, everything would have been better. <laughs> yeah. I don't think at that point it could be better for him, though. I think he was no, just No, he's broken. gone around then. That's true. The only psychiatrist they have is Kiefer and he's not okay, so. <laughs> Speaking of Kiefer... Uh, I made a note that his, the delivery of his lines in this remind me of Stevie from Malcolm in the Middle, the kid in the wheelchair. Kind of. <laughs> the way he would say three words and then pause and then yeah. say three more words. So Kiefer's got asthma. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> or his character does in this. So I started thinking last night as I was watching it about uh, a sequel, and I know it's never going to happen, but I just thought it was fun to think about. Light City? Uh, what if, you know, yeah, Dark City 2. <laughs> um, where, where John Murdoch, because it's a big spaceship, right? So John Murdoch is essentially uh, commissions people to start building, or he just builds them with his mind powers, whatever. Start building telescopes, and they and they try to find Earth, and then uh, he starts steering the the dark city toward Earth to come back, and then uh, you know we've got a city on the on the horizon with uh, sunset. And what then? I don't know. And then and then the whole world is destroyed from a virus, and there <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing left. 
No, I mean, we clearly have to build a wall between us and the Dark City. We're not letting those people in. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they're not okay. How would you build that wall? Doesn't matter. Look, here's the thing. When the people from the Dark City send their people, they're not sending their best. They're sending rapists and murderers. They're going to make Dark City great again. Some of the Dark City people, I assume, are good people, but, you know, most of them not. Most of them, we don't want them here. Right, exactly. <laughs> they're just they're just not good people. <laughs> I think... Uh... I think the people making this movie are just big weirdo nerds, too, because every time I would look at the aliens, I'd think of Cenobites. <laughs> yeah. Because especially when you have the close-up on their outfits and it's, like, black leather and, like, 9,000 buckles, and you're like, that dude never goes pee. No. because <laughs> no, he can't get out of that outfit. And, and then when they show the face with the clock, I'm like, that's Giger. A hundred percent. Right. Especially Lee. Remind me of Lee. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like those dudes are big nerds and they're just pulling from everything. They're just referencing things. Yeah. Because I don't know how you don't see Cenobites when you watch that movie. Oh no, I totally got it. The suits, I was like, wow, are they wearing still suits? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That solves the pee problem. There you go. You just pee in the suit. But they don't like water. So maybe they don't. Which is silly, because they inhabit human brains, which are mostly water. Well, and they look like jellyfish spiders. <laughs> like, when they came out, I was like, that's a sea creature. Did they say that it hurts them, or that they just... Because Sutherland says they have a phobia of water. I don't know. Right, well, he when he, when he force pushes that one into the water cooler, it explodes. Oh, okay. I forgot that part somehow. Yeah, the I biggest guess. action piece in the movie, and I missed it. Right. <laughs> you were napping, maybe, for that part. Yeah, maybe I did fall asleep a little bit. Yeah, I had to poke you. I am. <laughs> I am it's a little bit tired. In the movie. I made a note that uh, when the prostitute points out that John's name is very appropriate, that uh, it's not just because he's it's a name for a person patronizing a prostitute, but it's also a really easy name to identify with as a protagonist. So like, he's John Everyman. Right, or John Doe. Yeah, I just thought that it was. Interesting that she makes an allusion to his name and... Yeah, they're not going to give him some crazy, complicated... No, because you want to... John is such a common name, it's easy to, to uh, identify with, I think. Well, it's good because there's no associations. Like, if you say John... Yeah. People don't automatically go to one character. Whereas, like, you couldn't name him, like, Hannibal. <laughs> Without thinking of Hannibal Lecter? Yeah, there's, like, there's one Hannibal. Uh, Hannibal King, Sarah. No. I think you're forgetting Blade Lecter. 3. Only Lecter. Come on. <laughs> the second best Blade movie. After Guillermo's. <laughs> second best Blade movie. That doesn't beat Hannibal Lecter. Okay, fine. Second best Blade movie. Are you talking about Blade 2? <laughs> yeah. I was... that, had the, that had the cat from Red Dwarf in it, so it's my favorite. Hey, this has been a good day. I've eaten five times, I've slept six times, and I've made a lot of things mine. Tomorrow, I'm going to see if I can't have sex with something. Oh, yeah! Well, and it had, it's from Guillermo del Toro, so it's my favorite, too. Fish Alacrim. Fish. Well, and uh, you you haven't watched Dead Drift yet, but there's a lot of... It's it's very Red, Dri- uh, Red Dwarf. Yeah. Dylan watches everything when I'm at work. Like a sucker. I, t- I tried <laughs> to get you to watch it, but you fell asleep, I think. Don't Sarah take that a, personally. Yeah, don't take it personally. Sarah has a habit of falling asleep to anything. If it's like past 8 o'clock p.m., I'm done. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little no, surprised you're still with us. I fall asleep a lot these days, too, when watching stuff. 
So when people are like, hey, you want to go to the bar before we go see that movie? I'm like, nope, because if I have a drink before I watch a movie, I will fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to watch that movie alone? Because that's what's going to happen. See, for no, me, it's unfortunate. I, I think it's a, it's a byproduct of my age. but Well, we're all old. Yeah. We were trying to explain that to our students, me and my principal. They're like, well, why don't you just stay awake? We're like, no, you don't understand because you're 20. <laughs> what is this? Stay awake? Nonsense. Yeah, no. 8.30, 9 o'clock, it's all over. <laughs> We're going to bed. We're like, go party right now. Like, enjoy yourselves now, because in 10 years, it's just downhill. <laughs> it, hit, it hits you quick. Yeah, I don't think they get it. You just like, suddenly you guys turn gotta old go one fun. They'll ask me, like, do you wish you could go back? And I'll say, no, like, I don't really want to be a teenager again, but I'd like to be a teenager for one night to go, like, party hard and not, <laughs> like, feel horrible the next day and... Like, that'd be fun. Then transfer back to yourself for the next day? Yeah, yeah. Then be me again. That's, like, a different kind of time travel, though. Because I don't want to be my age in, like, 1998 or whatever. I don't want to, like, Bruce Willis it. (laughs) (laughs) I made a note that uh, Riff Raff is the primary antagonist of this movie. Yeah, that's so good. Riff Raff. (laughs) From uh, Rocky Horror Picture. True story. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) He's just almost unrecognizable. It's Mr. I only Cook. recognize his voice, but he looks completely different. He doesn't have that long, stringy hair under his bald head. Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> I recognized his face, but yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm an idiot savant when it comes to recognizing faces. I point them out to Sarah all the time. I just I, I like to blow her mind with people that she doesn't recognize immediately. Mm-hmm. We did think that Mr. Book was Denomalos, though, and he was not. No, it was. not. <laughs> I looked him up. Similar. I've never yeah, seen similar. anything before. <laughs> very similar. Yeah, very similar facially. Apparently the girl that Lots played the uh, prostitute was in a bunch of other stuff, but I don't know any of it. I was looking up I, uh, Dark City on IMDb, and it was like, first appearance of this actress. And I'm like, oh, that was the yeah, prostitute. She's, and it's um, like, she's in all this other stuff. She's like, Ryan Reynolds' wife in that Amityville horror remake. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, and she was in Sugar and Spice, which is like one of my favorite lame girl movies of the 90s they were like cheerleaders and no one saw it but i loved it <laughs> like jawbreaker yeah no, jawbreaker's great okay you shut up i said i know it's great i like yeah, it it's awesome <laughs> but nobody's seen it yeah she was not in that either but yeah no she's been a lot of things that that woman but amityville was the first thing that came to mind so i remember dark city came out in 1997 so i was i was 19 when dark city came out um, and I remember wanting to go see it and my brother wanted to go see it. My brother's five years younger than I am. So he would have been, uh, what, 14. So we went to the theater when he came to visit me cause he lived in another city at the time. And it's just like me and my brother going to see a movie, right? I'm 19. Mm-hmm. He's 14. I'm not thinking anything about it. And they're like, they're like, how old is he? And I'm like, I, I don't know. He's like 14. And they're like, are you a parent or guardian? And I'm like, no, but it's my brother. I, I feel like I'm messing this story up. I don't remember how old exactly I was, but I went to take my brother to see Dark City, and they would not let me buy him a ticket, and I was fucking furious. Aww. And uh, it made me so angry. So I ended up seeing it later without him. Um, but yeah, it, it was really, uh, really lame. God, that story was way like cooler in my head. set of boobs. It's like my mom wanted to take me to the Crow, but I was a minor at the time, so I couldn't get in. Yeah, I would have been with 14 my, with my goddamn mom. Wait, they wouldn't let you buy a ticket? Your mom? No, they wouldn't so let my mom buy a ticket. So rated R 
is under 17 is permitted with an adult. Yeah. Whoever was working the counter that day didn't know the rules, I guess. <laughs> yeah, same with when I went to see Dark City. They would not let me buy my brother a ticket, and I was 19. He's with an I adult. So what else pissed. do you need? Right. <laughs> Next time, just They're say, like, yes, no. I am his dad. <laughs> see, yeah, I think it really comes down to who you're with, because I remember being in Kingston... And me and my brother were adults, and we took my sister to see uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> and she was allowed it, and she was like 12 or 13 at the time. And I'm That's sure crazy. That movie is rated R. That movie so is rated R. Off, yeah. I know. I yeah. saw that movie on September 11th, 2001. Oh, my. Really? Yep. Me and my buddy uh, Jason, who plays uh, Mr. Fermi in Dead Drift, we were working at, a, at an auto detailing shop. And I was late, as usual. Um, that was uh, an era. And uh, I, I was like, what's all the traffic about? You know, I got to work. I blamed it on the traffic. I would have been late anyways. And, of course, I hadn't watched the news before I got to work. I just got up and went to work. And uh, they started telling me about what had happened. And I was like, well, fuck. And so me and Jason were like, hey, dude. Uh, we told we went to our boss and we're like, yeah, man, we're really bummed out. You, sh we, you should let us go so we can, uh, you know, mourn or whatever so we uh he let us go and we went back to my house and smoked a bunch of weed and then we went to the theater and watched Jay and silent bob strike back <laughs> and we had a we had a bit of a tradition about it for for a few years every every 9-11 we'd get high and watch Jay and silent bob strike back that's funny i remember waking up and seeing it on tv and thinking i was watching like a like a made for tv movie or something like a like right. it wasn't really happening i because i had seen something like that before I turn on the TV and it's like, oh, aliens are here. Well, yeah, yeah. I was in grade 12 and my my friend Brad, the dude that I dated after, he came into geography class. It was like right after lunch and he had gone home. And he's like, yeah, there's these towers on fire. And we're like, dude, that's like diehard. What are you talking about? <laughs> And we thought he was just completely insane until we got home at the end of the day. But it's Canada, so we weren't as glued to the television, I think. Yeah. Right. A lot of my friends who were older than me who were in university said, like, professors wheeled in televisions and everyone was watching. But, like, we don't have cable in high school because we have no money for that. So <laughs> none of us knew. And there was no streaming. Like, that didn't yeah. exist for us. So. Right. Pre-YouTube. Yeah. 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 But it's like that and the day that uh, Princess Diana died, I remember where I was then too, watching Saturday Night Live with my friend Leanne on her couch. And then we were pissed off because we couldn't figure out why they were pausing Saturday Night Live because we were so young, we didn't get it. Why are you interrupting Saturday Night Live? Because <laughs> some British royalty yeah, person died. some person died. died. Yeah, we couldn't, we didn't get it. Well, I guess British royalty is probably more important to you guys than it is to us. Not really. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> It's pretty cool when they show up. Yeah. Yeah, everyone kind of loses their minds for that, but yeah. I think, I think that's kind of just worldwide love for the princess and the prince. People here lose their mind for it, too, that, which yeah. has yeah. always kind of been baffling to me. I was like, isn't America intrinsically anti-monarchy? That's what I thought. Like, are you... I thought you left because you hated them. Right. <laughs> I thought, thought anti-monarchy is one of our core values. Yeah. But they're so interesting. It's like a tabloid that you watch with real humans. Yeah, Canada yeah. As much as much really as Americans say we're anti-royalty, we have royalty of our own. It's stupid. Yeah, we just have a figurehead who signs some things. Rubber stamp. Yeah, pretty much. The queen signature. Kachuk. Yeah. We're good. And she's still on her money, right? Hmm. She's still on her money. Yep. The queen. Yeah. 
Yeah. They changed. Would you guys? I thought you guys had the little geese. Don't you guys have the little geese anymore? With the, uh, we don't have one design for our the bills. goose is on the toonie, because we have our two dollar coin, and he's on that. Yeah. That's but they changed them all recently. Time. We used to have really <laughs> cool images, like we had um, the Haida Gwai creation story done by Bill Reed on our $20 bill and it's this beautiful, massive room-sized sculpture of a raven over a clam with humanity spilling out of it. And then they got rid of it and they put on some kids playing hockey. And I was like, no, the art. But it smells like maple, so that's cool. Like, it's scratch and sniff our money. For real. For that's real. awesome. Is you that should come jelly? visit and then you can smell our Toad's jelly. Is that for blind people? Maybe. You smell what bill you have so you can <laughs> yeah. give people the right one. Yeah, I don't think that's how it works, but that would be cool. I'm pretty sure we have Braille on our money. Yeah. Um, I made a note that this may, that Dark City makes a much better use of its budget than The Matrix does. Production values, I, I think, are much higher. Bang yeah, but The bu- Matrix had the cool, like, bullet thing. Yeah, but this, <laughs> this does, like, its effects with one-third of the budget The Matrix had. That's true. Yeah, the Dark City effects, the, all the CGI effects, I don't think hold up at all. Like, no. the practical effects hold up really well, I think. Because they look like miniatures, but I love the look of the miniatures. Like, when the city, when the buildings are growing and, and rearranging and all that stuff, I think it looks really cool. But, like, the little aliens inside the brain, those look stupid. Yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. But then <laughs> when you watch The Matrix 2, you're like, mm, not so awesome anymore. Like, well, like the bullet time stuff holds yeah. up pretty well. But the rest of it, yeah. Well, see, and, that, and that's I don't the part really I don't even that. like so much. Like, I don't count really. I see time. the trail of the bullet, I'm like, that's kind right. of lame. But <laughs> all the, like, the practical effects when they blew up all of those pillars, yeah, that's pretty sick still. Yeah, the practical effects I like. Yeah. Like, we were talking when we were watching it, though, there was a comparison between um, Dark City and The Matrix on YouTube. And right. I was saying I feel bad for The Matrix because the other two suck so hard. And I don't even want to watch the first one anymore because the other two just, like, destroyed it for me for a long time. That's a bummer. Yeah, because I just kind of... I, uh, I need to pretend the, those don't exist. Right. See, I, I, I'm I able to completely separate a movie from its sequels. Like, to me, the sequels to The Matrix don't diminish the value of The Matrix at all. Um, it was such a landmark of cinema. Um I think it's one of the greatest films of all time, and I think it's going to forever hold that place, regardless of the sequels, which are awful. I agree. Um, but to me, they, they don't diminish the first one at all. Um, I think it might be my experience with them, because like, my roommate in university dragged me to see the third one, which is the one where Trinity dies. The third one? Yeah. And, I don't know. The, the third um, one is the most boring of all. Yeah, so she wanted to go, and she insisted on going on friggin' opening night and didn't buy tickets in advance. So we got there, and we waited in the most epic line I've ever been in in my life, and we were, like, the front, front row. The one where your neck hurts and you can't see anything. Right. So were you we, like this the whole time? Yeah, exactly. So we bailed from that and went and sat up on the, on, the, on the stairs. So I watched the entire movie from the stairs. It wasn't even good. My ass hurt real bad. And the only highlight for me was when Trinity died, and they're like... Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you too. And the whole theater laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the highlight for me. But seeing it like that, I was just like, oh, I don't even want to see these movies again for like forever. Right. 
No, the, 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 the third one was so, yeah, awful. I remember I saw it in the theater. I don't know if it was opening night. I think it might have been because I, I really wanted to see. I was hoping they were going to tie it together and, and make up for the mistakes of the second one. Um, and there's this this battle scene in Zion where these tentacle robots are pouring through a hole in the ceiling and there's dudes in mech suits like shooting machine guns at them. And I was like, all right, this should be the most exciting thing I have ever seen on a screen. There's dudes in mech suits with machine guns shooting squid robots pouring in through the roof <laughs> of an underground city in the future. But somehow, in spite of all those fantastic things, it was totally boring and I didn't care. And I was like, what did you do, Wachowskis? What did you do to lose me? Because this should have me like in the grips of excitement and tension, but it, there was none. It was just, I just didn't care anymore about anybody or what happened because it was so fucking boring. Well, and everyone in those mech suits, you don't know them. You care about everyone in the Ebuchadnezzar or whatever, but those guys you're like, meh. Well, I think that they, they shot themselves in the foot by doing trying to do too much with CG. Like the Keanu, Agent Smith... Oh god, that's so CGI bad. fight is just terrible. So bad. It looks so fake. There's no weight to any of the characters. Right, it's like watching a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. Almost worse because they they. It is worse. You have the first one where they do action good, and then you <laughs> right, have the right. second one where they get worse, and then the third one is just, why am I watching this? Yeah. It's like no, because the even Star in Wars a cartoon, movies. the animators put effort into making it look like the characters have weight. Yeah, like you, like the screen would shake when a, when a character hits something really hard, right. but you don't get anything. It's just a really sterile, static camera panning through. Well, and you get the same feeling that you get with the the Star Wars prequels. Like, no one's really there, and it's two dudes hanging out in a green room, and you just can't get emotion from that. Yeah. I don't care who you are. It's hard as hell. I don't know. What do you think no, like, of that? Like, as someone who and the thing is, I think that visual. you can only get to the point where, uh, for me, when when I'm absorbed in the story, I'm not picking apart details because I'm absorbed in the story. But if I ever tune out from the story, like if I get bored by the story, then I'm looking at other things. Then I start nitpicking stuff like the animation looks like crap. These characters don't have any weight. And that's kind of what it was with The Matrix is that the story of the movie had lost me. I was no longer engaged so then I started analyzing details. Um, and I think you don't get to the point where you're analyzing or nitpicking details if you're immersed in the story. That's um, true. And that's, that's to me the sin of The Matrix 3, is that it was not engaging. It was boring. The CGI, good or bad, I think is irrelevant if you're not engaged in the story. That's true. Yeah, and, uh, whereas like the aliens from Dark City you can ignore. for the Right, thankfully they're used incredibly it. sparingly because yeah. they look terrible. Yeah. But it's the same when you watch, like, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is the best movie ever, but those dogs running across the street suck. <laughs> <laughs> like, horribly. But even kids I know, like, my friend's daughter is seven right now, and that was her favorite movie for years. So a good movie will just get you. Right. You can, you can overlook little flaws like that if you're immersed in a story, if you're engaged yeah. in what's happening. Yeah, and, uh, she, she's grown up with the most amazing effects in films ever, but she's like, right. yeah, okay, I can, I'll ignore the dog. <laughs> yeah, Ghostbusters was the was the first movie that I saw uh, in a theater without without parental supervision. Oh. So, 
very near and dear to my heart. My, I think my biggest problem with the Matrix was how hard and often they hit the Neo is Jesus button. <laughs> like, I think by the time it got to Neo is Jesus, I didn't give a fuck anymore. No, because I like they, they Neo is the one in the first one, and it's, right. it's like the Jesus story basically. Totally. But then by the end of it, they're just slapping you. They're punching you in the face with it. It's not even a slap anymore. Well, and when we were watching the little clips. I've forgotten how much I love the supporting actors. Like the Oracle, she's great. Which in that one? Movie. The first one. Or the the first one. one. The, the, <laughs> the only one. <laughs> the good one. She's good. The set's good. Everything looks real. Like I feel like I could walk into that lady's house and smell bread cooking and sit down right. and she feed me. <laughs> I don't know. I, li- I like that about it. No, I mean it was it was well cast. There were tons of good actors. Um, Everyone was perfect for the role, I think. Um, I don't remember the Italian guy's name in the first one. Cypher? Was it Cypher? Yeah. Yeah. Um, who, you know, with the steak. He's awesome. Friggin' um, Well, yeah, because I'm Hugh, with him. Hugo Weaving, man. Hugo Weaving is... That movie made him a star. Yeah. And and he can just chew anything he does. He's he's awesome. Yeah, he well, V for Vendetta. Acts yeah. an entire movie. He can't movie. even act. You can emote... With yeah. a mask on your face. Yeah. Yeah. You never see his face the whole movie and he owns it. And you know exactly what he's feeling at any given it's moment. It's amazing. It Just is. Just a little tilt of his head, you know what he's thinking. Yeah. Right. No, he's he he gives a he delivers a stellar performance in pretty much everything he does. It's like uh it's underrated, people don't appreciate it as much as they should. It's like um Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's really funny in it, but if you watch yeah. him even when he's in the background when he's not delivering lines He's acting right. his ass off constantly. Right. Is the main guy from Dark City in anything? Yeah. Like, I recognize in, uh... him, but I don't know him. So, have you ever seen A Knight's Tale? Yeah, way back. He's the bad guy. Oh. <laughs> I remember I was seeing actually... that because everyone just loved Heath Ledger. Right. I remember when that movie came out, I saw the trailers for it, and I was like, oh, a, a medieval knight movie with a queen soundtrack. I was like... This looks stupid. I have no desire to see this. And then my buddy was like, no, you got to watch it. So I watched it. And I was like, this movie's amazing. I love it. (laughs) And uh, I think that was part of my road to not becoming or becoming less of a movie snob and sometimes just enjoying popcorn fun movies for being popcorn and fun. And washes in it as well, which is great. I think part of that is that it doesn't take itself too seriously. Right, totally. It doesn't take itself seriously at all. It's a medieval movie with a Queen soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, he's back in... He's in Gods of Egypt. Oh. The other movie. Was he in Gods of Egypt? Yeah. Is that the new one? Yeah. It says he's Urshu. Yeah, I didn't see that. I was like, oh, the Gods of Egypt are a bunch of Scottish dudes. That's interesting. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. There's like three black (laughs) people in the whole movie. Right. But this is Egypt. This is ancient Egypt. How I have about zero desire to see the Ghost in the Shell movie. Yeah. Like Scarlett Johansson. Really? Really? Yeah, that one doesn't bother me. I'm stoked for that. I think it looks sweet. But Scarlett Johansson? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just like. You know that we'll watch it. Oh, I'm totally watching it. (laughs) But I really, really like the anime, so I'm like disturbed by it. It's like when we were watching that thing about Akira and they're like, yeah, maybe we could have Robert Pattinson play Tetsuo. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I could shoot myself in the face too. That'd be great. <laughs> or maybe you could just not make that movie <laughs> like, at all. No. Yeah. 
I think so with Scarlett Johansson and, and Ghost in the Shell playing the main character, I don't think that bothers me as much because that character was ambiguous to her ethnicity. But then I think when you're making a movie about ancient Egypt, if your main cast is a bunch of white dudes, that's that's kind of egregious. When all it's, the rulers of Egypt are uh, are white dudes, right? <laughs> I think my I mean you is can you can get Neo away Tokyo with Tokyo, and it's like, is Bill Murray gonna show up? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just like I could I could understand. Uh, I don't even know the actor's name, but he's Scottish playing. Leonidas in 300. I'm like, all right, you know, he's still European. They're Greek. I know they're a little darker, but you know, he he makes it work. Um, but then when he's like the king of Egypt, I'm like, ah, all right, that's a little much now. Yeah, <laughs> it's not during the Roman era, so come on. <laughs> they're not a colony. Fuck off. I don't know. I just feel bad for Asian people. All their good roles are stolen. Always. Like. Give him something, come on. And yellow face is still a thing. Oh god, it's so <laughs> gross. It, it's it's and so. And then when people are like afraid of how to deal with Asian people, they cast Tilda Swinton. Yeah. <laughs> and I liked her in the, in Doctor Strange, and I think she did a good job. But like that was entirely because they were like, oh, we can't we can't make him look like a we stereotypical horrible him. Asian guy. So let's just make him a white chick. Okay. Could, not just some average Asian dude. I'm totally torn on this one because there are certain roles that I think, you know, 100% you got to stay true to the character. Like, there was a live-action Dragon Ball Z movie, and Goku was played by some white kid. And I was like, that's absolutely stupid. Why would you Why would you even cast a white dude as Goku? Goku is obviously Japanese. Um, that doesn't make any sense at all. And then, And then on the other hand, you know, from a creative perspective, I'm like, as, a, as, as an actor, what if you want to play uh, other ethnicities? Like, should that be banned? Like, or no, should that and, and not I think be it okay? Be done like, well. like Eddie, like, Murphy, Eddie Murphy played a white guy in Coming to America. Eddie Murphy played a white guy in Saturday Night Live, and I think he did great. Um, but it is more offensive for a white guy to play, you know, a minority role. I think because there's so I think there definitely needs to be roles. more representation of, of minorities in cinema. But the unfortunate fact, and and I'm not saying that we shouldn't work to change this because we should work to change this, but an, an, an unfortunate fact is that leading roles given to Asians don't do as well as leading roles given to Caucasians. And I think, like I said, I think we can change that, but we need to make an effort. Um, like, you know, I'll, I'll well, fucking I'm, see anything that Jet Li's in because I love that dude. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm torn on it. Is what I'm I think it bothers say. me because there's just not as many roles. Like, like if a totally. white, if if we didn't cast a white guy for red and instead we put Morgan Freeman in there, it doesn't bother me because right. there's like nine bajillion other roles for, for like white a dudes. white guy. <laughs> right. right. So there's just more opportunity. I think that's what it is, and I think for me it's just Scarlett Johansson and I like Scarlett Johansson like I like a lot of her films I'm just I don't see her as the major I think that's right. my problem I've been a fan since Perfect Score Perfect Score <laughs> I totally get where you're coming from and that's and that's I mean I see it from I see the issue from different sides you know so it's yeah for sure it's it's definitely hard to say where I am like there's been a, a tremendous controversy about uh, this new movie with Matt Damon called The Wall I believe, um, 
where people are flipping out about a white European dude in ancient China. And, uh, and people are upset about it. And I'm like, come on, settle down. I'm like, it's not supposed to be that, you know, Matt Damon is the white European savior that comes to save China and its people from Everyone dragons. Everyone knows that's Tom Cruise. <laughs> that's Japan, Sarah. The last oh, that was Japan. a good movie, Sorry. too. I like Samurai it. is a good movie. I like it, too. We own that movie. <laughs> I own it, too. It's a great movie. It, Tom Cruise wasn't the last samurai. Ken Watanabe was the last samurai. But you don't get that from the title. You see the title, Last Samurai, you see Tom Cruise. Everyone's like, what? How dare they? That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, the whole thing with Matt Damon is that he's just one of a group of mercenaries that are prisoners. That And there's dragons. I'm like, come on, there's dragons attacking the Great Wall of China. It's not real. If you want to get mad about something, get mad about the historical inaccuracy. Of dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand that there needs to be more representation of Asians in cinema, and I agree with it 100%, and I, I want to see Asians represented more in American cinema. Um, I just think of how many, like, how many Jet Lees are we missing out on? <laughs> how many, like, wicked, awesome... You know how many Jet Lees there are? Yeah, but I love him. There's lots in one. <laughs> <laughs> there can be only one Jet Lee. Uh, as evidence for the Jet Li movie, Christopher Lambert, they're going to kill all the other Jet Lees because there the can only movie. be one. There's a whole movie about how there can only be one Jet Li. That's what I'm saying. Jet Li will kill all the other Jet Lees because there can be only one. <laughs> no, I want to watch the Highlander. Not the one. Yeah, Christopher Lambert as uh, the Thunder God. That was dumb. Yeah, that was but that was hilarious because it's so stupid. The way he played it was hilarious. <laughs> So Christopher Lambert's hilarious. There was a Chun Li movie too, and the the Lois Lane from Smallville, not Smallville, yeah, Smallville played Chun Li. I never saw it. What one? Uh, Smallville, the Superman show. Yeah, but what the movie? There was a movie uh, about Chun Li. Chun Li from Street Fighter. Oh, Street Fighter, bad. Yeah. <laughs> the anime was good. Yeah, any live action movies they make or. Yeah. Kind of be garbage. I like the anime with like Cam FDM playing in the background. That was the best. You don't like Cam FDM. Yeah, but not the movie. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> poor Raul Julia. Oh yeah, that's, that's really your last movie. Oh, poor guy. That's the worst thing about that movie is that it's, it's the last movie. <laughs> I know. He was so good, and then that happened. Well, did you ever hear the story of uh, Orson Welles? So the last thing Orson Welles did was the voice of Unicron for the Transformers movie. Oh. And uh, he apparently, like, he just, he went in, he read all the lines, he did it, he did the role, and he's like, I did what? And then he died. Oh, no. <laughs> That's an unfortunate way to end your career. Yeah. <laughs> start, with Cit- start with Citizen Kane, then you end with Unicron. <laughs> Unicron. Lee, Lee still always have those. Unicron was pretty badass, though. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole group of 80s boys who's just love it. Yeah, man. I'm one of them. Come on. Leonard Nimoy was Galvatron. That was the shit. <laughs> I was never into that one. Probably because my brother wasn't. Watched the hell out of the Ghostbusters cartoon, though. Thundercats. Hell yeah, Thundercats. That was great, too. We even tried the new one. Yeah, the animation wasn't bad in that. It was weird, though. Yeah. They changed it a lot. I did not try the new one. We gave up after, like, four episodes. Oh, that's a bummer. I don't think because it was bad. I think it's just because we, we watch a lot of things. And if I don't, like, love it, it gets dropped. I think Mumra was silly and kind of annoyingly voiced. 
super high In the pitched. original or the new one? The new one. Oh. He had really high-pitched, annoying voices, if I'm remembering correctly. It was a couple of years ago we watched it. So if you guys haven't watched Avatar The Last Airbender, you probably haven't watched The Legend of Korra either, huh? No. Another one I hear Legend- good things of. Yeah, they're, they're both they're amazing. Liked, right? They're like... Yeah. yeah. Um, so essentially, this, this character, the Avatar, in this world is reincarnated through time. When the Avatar dies, a new Avatar, he, uh, the, the spirit incarnates into a new Avatar. And uh, so Avatar The Last Airbender is the story of Aang, who is, he's essentially the last Avatar, um, because the Fire Nation is trying to get rid of the Avatar. Anytime the Avatar pops up, they're trying to kill him, because the Avatar's purpose is to bring balance to the world, and the Fire Nation wants to take over the world. So they're trying to systematically make sure that there is no Avatar. So the first series is the story of Aang, the last Avatar's battle with the Fire Nation. The next series, The Legend of Korra, is the next incarnation of the Avatar. And uh, she it's a girl this time, and it's a it's really cool story. Like, you could probably watch it by itself, and it's great, but I think it's better if you watch The Last Avatar first. Mm-hmm. But they're both amazing. Well, but seriously, if you've really never seen watch them. The yeah. Last Avatar, you should watch it. It used to be on Netflix, that's how I discovered it, but it's not anymore. Which is a bummer. Yeah. That may or may not have been true for us because we're in Canada. We get different right. things. Right. Yeah. Well, My if it's on there, you about all the time. My students totally add this. to queue, move to the top, <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> nice. Okay, we have to watch that before we do our show about Dune and yeah. Blade Runner. And then let me know, once you guys have watched Avatar The Last Airbender, we can do a show on that. All right. Yeah, we got to I'm, get a freeway play with my sister. She might beat us up. <laughs> nice. I'm not even she's playing. She's tiny but mighty. It's amazing. We can uh, we could probably work two Skype guests or FaceTime guests or however this shit works. Yeah, I don't know how we do that. I don't know. We'll figure it out. For yeah, that. we'll have to figure it out, though, before. Yeah, slightly ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Skype worked out so beautifully for us. Do a, do a trial, a trial <laughs> run. Thanks, Facebook. At least we know the Facebook call works. Well, yeah, this is what I had to do because me and Neely couldn't talk when she was in England, so we had to do Facebook. So mm. it's like, let's just do Facebook. I know it works. And then we were struggling because I couldn't remember my Facebook password to, <laughs> to log in on her laptop. And, ah. Oh. It was a whole thing. <laughs> I'm like, just add him as a friend and do it through yours. <laughs> yeah, if I, if I can get someone to watch Avatar The Last Airbender, this is a, this is a, a win for me. Oh yeah, we'll totally watch it. Yeah, we we uh, we'll definitely let you know when we've caught up. It's a while before like Game of Thrones comes back, and lots of our shows are kind of paused. So. Yeah, I think if if you start Avatar: The Last Airbender and you get into it, you probably won't stop until you're done. So March like, break. There you go. We'll March break it. <laughs> Have a whole week and do nothing except watch that and watch the snow melts out of the window. Hopefully, it's gone by then. Yeah, it might not I'm be. sick of it already. We're in Canada. It sucks. Here. Yeah, no, we've had more snow in the last three months than we've had in years prior, and it's ridiculous. We're supposed yeah. to get snow again on Friday. I'm like, boo. Before it started melting out there, the, our, the snow bank in our driveway was as tall as me. Yeah. I feel good, though, because, like, Dylan's mom is in Nova Scotia, and they just got 80 centimeters in the last week. That means nothing to him. <laughs> How many feet is that? How many feet it's close to 40 inches. It's 
close to like, 40 inches. It's a buttload of snow. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, lot of snow. Yeah, they only had they only had school one day last week because <laughs> they got so much friggin' snow. It's crazy. So going back to the movies that were. <laughs> we diverged from that a long time ago. I've got. <laughs> I thought we had just full on moved on. I've only got two notes left. Oh, we have notes still. Okay. Uh, one was I'm not sure how long it's been going on, but it's long enough that people forgot about the day night cycle. Nobody recognizes that they don't see daylight. Yeah, all their eyes should hurt real bad when he turns the city. Yeah, their redness should be scorched as soon as he turns the thing. Totally. <laughs> They're like, ah, I can't see. They get out of I think that's glasses. one of the things that made me think about doing a sequel is the star that he's turning it to face, our sun. That would be interesting if they didn't even bother to leave the solar system. Yeah. Well, why would they need to? Like, if they were collecting them. humans from Earth, they could be in a near-Earth orbit or a, uh, like an opposite orbit of Earth, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Because like, like if, uh, if they're getting humans from Earth, which, I mean, as far as we know, that's the place you go to get humans. Yeah. <laughs> it would make sense that... They wouldn't need to like go to a different, uh, you know, different system. They would just stay close. Well, yeah. So they, they could, could hang out by demons. Mars, and no one could get right. to them. Or just on the right. opposite side of the sun. Yeah. What were some of the questions? Remember, we had questions. People actually gave us questions, and we ignored them. No, we <laughs> asked one. Uh, the first one from Epic Film Guy Justin is why is Dark City so underappreciated? Oh. I, I want to say that it was overshadowed by The Matrix a year later, but I can't explain why it didn't do well initially. Right, because it they wouldn't make... let 14-year-old brothers in. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking the same thing about The Matrix being so similar, but it doesn't make any sense because Dark City came out like a year and, and two months before The Matrix did, so that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't hold water. Yeah, so I... I it was can't... probably... It was released in February. So February is, is generally where studios release movies that they expect to fail. Um, I don't and I think it's just marketing for it. it. It was probably marketed very poorly, and it's it's noir, and that's not an incredibly popular genre. I think that the culture is so much different now than it was in 1997. That if Dark City were to be released now and marketed properly, it would probably be a, like a, a big hit. But the geek culture thing wasn't as big in the zeitgeist in 1996 as it is now. That's true. What well, up? I'd have to look it up, but I wonder what else came out. Could be like a... Like how every good movie on the face of the earth came out in 1999. Yeah. And what so, was that? What was the one movie that didn't do well because it came out with, uh, against... Or maybe it was Blade Runner, I think. Didn't perform well because it came out against bigger bigger movies. Well, and also Blade Runner is weird. Yeah. Yeah, Blade Runner is not accessible. No. To it's, mainstream audiences. It's really relaxing and chill and you have to pay attention and... There's no action, really, and it's just kind of a beautiful movie that most people don't get. Maybe it's because there weren't uh, there were no real huge names to draw people. That's a part of it as well, I think. Because people know Jennifer Connelly, but are they going to see movies because she's in them? No. I, I was. I think that's probably the main reason I wanted to see that movie. Well, she'd be the biggest star. Yeah. Yeah. But not like, Kiefer. like Bruce Willis and... Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, famous. <laughs> yeah. Right. Nobody knew who Rufus Sewell was. Nobody still knows who Rufus Sewell was. Um, I, yeah, I was a huge movie, fan go, of oh, that guy, uh, yeah. Jennifer <laughs> Connelly. So I was like, Jennifer Connelly's in it. I'm, I'm in. You know, I'm going to see it. And then I was like, it's also sci-fi and it's noir, which, which is double and triple ins for me. Um, yeah, but yeah, other than that, Kiefer Sutherland was the biggest name. There's, there's nobody in it that's gonna get a, that's gonna be a box office draw. Mm-hmm. 
And when you watch the movie, he's not a character that you're drawn to. Right. What else we got before we go? Uh, Matt the Beardo. This is just a random question. Why have I never seen either of these movies? I don't know. That's just sad. <laughs> I agree it's sad. Even I've seen them. I fell asleep all the time, but I've seen them. Come on now. <laughs> so, Matt, uh, what's your what's your opinion there, Ken? Of what? Of dude not seeing either of these movies? Yeah. Why has he not seen them? Is I guess it's understandable for for both of these to have slipped through, uh, slipped under his radar because, like we said, Dark City is very underappreciated. Um, it is a cult classic, uh, not widely known, and that's kind of unfortunate. But I think there's there are enough people out there that know about it that you can help spread the word to people that have never seen it. And Twelve Monkeys kind of the same way. You know, Terry Gilliam's never really been very uh, Commercially successful. Commercially successful, yeah, and and I think I think Twelve Monkeys is his most commercially successful movie. It's his most um, mainstream film, I think. Right. Yeah, um, well, it's like how, like I love Fear and Loathing, but every time someone finds out that you like it too, they're like, oh, because no one's heard of it. Like, right. Like regular, I, 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 regular I will go, don't don't know it. Right. I, I'll go see anything that Terry Gilliam does, uh, just because I love Terry Gilliam's films. Uh, the most recent one, which I was thinking about earlier today, maybe we should have talked about, is uh, Zero Theorem, which uh, was the, the, the release, uh, the United States release of Zero Theorem was delayed for like three years. So for three years, I was like, when is this movie going to come out? And I tried, I tried downloading it, you know, to watch it because it was released in France and like, you know, three years earlier than it came out in the United States. And I, I wanted so much to see this movie. Chris, Christoph Waltz was, was the star. And, uh, I was finally able to see it because it was added to Amazon Prime. There was, but nowhere locally uh, in my area played it ever. And uh, you know, it's it's classic Terry Gilliam. It's it's not accessible. It's confusing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, the plot is a little hard to put your finger on. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's beautiful like most Terry Gilliam movies, but it is a little uh, what do you call it? Abstruse, difficult to understand, maybe intentionally. Maybe a little abstract, even. Maybe there isn't anything to understand at all. Maybe it's just the musings of an old dude who's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe he's flexing his uh, David Lynch muscle. No one could be that as much as David Lynch, though. Those are confused. I still don't understand. Like I've seen Lost Highway a million times. I have no clue what is happening. <laughs> <laughs> no idea, and I wouldn't even begin to want to talk about them. I'm not that smart. I can't do it. I'm with you on David Lynch, but I think Terry Gilliam is a little more accessible. Oh, well, and, yeah. And, and a lot more sci-fi, which is my draw. I think pretty much everything on the planet is more accessible than David Lynch. <laughs> yeah. like, that's, not a, that's not a bar you want to compare yourself to. It's just no. <laughs> that's not something you should Too much. <laughs> Let's do see how bizarre you can get. Uh, well, we asked the Pauls from the countdown which one stands the test of time. Oh yeah, I think, we talked about that. I think we agreed it's it's uh, twelve, 12 monkeys. monkeys. Yeah. Um, and then a uh, question from my friend Tula wanted to know: Did everyone know Dark City reused sets from the Matrix? But uh, I think we've we'll get on another Matrix tangent. I'm not sure we uh, we ever figured out which was actually filmed first because I'm pretty sure the Matrix would have a longer post production. Significant. Yeah, it totally. said it said in the the stuff we watched on the movie that it was Dark City first. Oh, okay. And Dark City sold its sets to the Matrix, probably to make up some of the money that it didn't get back in box office sales. Yeah, because I it did not do well. 
didn't do great. That's that's pretty that's pretty common practice anyways to sell unused or reused sets for reuse and whatnot. It's just sad to think that they go like watching the special features for Crimson Peak and seeing what they did to build that house and then knowing that it's in a dumpster. It get, yeah, like, it gets oh, thrown right. down and thrown out. Tragic. You know, that's that's movies though. It's it's a very temporary thing. You know, you got all these different skill sets that come in to create this world and then it's all scrapped. I know. And the record of it is, you know, your movie. I know. It's just, I remember seeing a post on Craigslist artist, a couple like, years ago. my soul. <laughs> <laughs> I get you. Um, it's a very fleeting art, you know? Yeah. Very transient. I remember seeing an ad on Craigslist a few years back that uh, made the rounds on a bunch of sci-fi forums that a studio in uh, Vancouver, up on your side of the border, was selling uh, all the sets from uh, SG-1. Oh, and, my God. Uh, and I was like, what? And I was like, I wanted to drive up there and like buy some shit. But I was like, man, I just got a little car. There's no way I can haul back a Stargate. Well, I was going to say you'd need to get a Stargate. You can get some uh, Zat guns or maybe a no. Staff Blaster. Stargate. Yeah, if you're not bringing home Stargate. a Stargate, it's not worth it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm sure it comes Stargate. Apart. It must come in pieces. <laughs> I just rent apart. a truck. Rent a <laughs> truck. There you go. I'm just picturing like a tiny car with the Stargate like zip tied to the car. Yeah. Like Mr. Bean style? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Because that's doable. That's how that works. That totally. is, I guess that's how that works. There would be no questions for you at the border. No. <laughs> None. They'd <laughs> be like, oh, so uh, how long are you staying in Canada? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just, I'm just here to buy a Stargate, bro. <laughs> then I'm going home. And then you're trying to get back into the States and they're like, uh, what's on your car? <laughs> they're like, are there, are there any drugs in that Stargate? And I'm like, I don't know, man. There's going to be drugs when I go through it, though. <laughs> I'm coming from Canada. All the drugs are down, this, down south. What? All the drugs are in BC. They're also in the States. Yeah, no, but... I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in Washington. There's a lot of marijuana here. Yeah, because it comes from BC. No, a lot of a lot of it comes from the University of Washington. Ah, uh, I was gonna say like it's like one third of houses in Kelowna grows weed. It's like insane, the number in BC. Yeah. No, there's there's it's 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 actually a, it's a very much a West Coast thing. There's a lot of marijuana grown in in BC and Washington and Oregon and California. Yeah, it's because you guys have no forests. I mean, yeah, we what? There's no no forests there. <laughs> Okay, I get sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's now legal in, in Washington, California, and, and Oregon as well. That's true. And yeah. D.C. just doesn't care. Canada's just in the past. Get on that, Justin. Uh, sorry. I think you, I think sorry, you mean Joe, Joe Trudeau. Joe Trudeau? <laughs> Joe. I didn't know you guys called him Joe. No, Trump That's what, does. Uh, no, it wasn't Trump, it was Spicer. Oh, Spicer, yes. Spicer okay. called him Joe, Tr- Joe Trudeau. Joe Trudeau came. No oh, like, shit. Nope. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's legal in Washington, Oregon, and California now, but we'll see what happens with this new Justice Department. So, yeah, I had someone try to tell me that Trump is gonna legalize it federally. I'm like, have you not listened nope. to anything he said? <laughs> nope. <laughs> not gonna happen. No. Maybe he'll build the wall with it. Maybe that's will insulate the wall. That's crazy. Those immigrants would just smoke the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Canadians would like for the Canadian wall that we have to build. It would just be a hedge. It's going to be made out of snow. <laughs> We're just going to build an ice wall. We'll be the, the White Walkers. Yeah. Well, who did that? Was uh, Talking to Americans? Do you guys have that? Well, oh. 
I feel like that was Rick Mercer. Rick Mercer, yeah, talking to Americans. Do you guys see that? I don't know what that is. He's a Canadian television personality, and he used to do this skit called Talking to Americans, and he'd go down usually in, like, New York State and make up these crazy stories. Like, have you guys heard about uh, the the moose migration out from (laughs) from the the Northwest Territories to British Columbia and that... Uh, people are destroying the Timbit fields so that the moose don't have anything to eat. And then people would be like, oh yeah, man, that's horrible. We shouldn't have that. And then they talk about like the ice wall at the border stopping people. And, and now people can't get access to the wood to build their teepees to live in. (laughs) (laughs) People are like, yeah, that's awful. We should definitely be changing that. Canadians, come on. And you get you get them to congratulate Canada on all these things that aren't real. Like, yeah, like Prime Minister right. Poutine. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty easy to trick people. Like, there's a Penn and Teller bit where uh, Penn and Teller have someone go around at, at like a hippie jam fest, and they're asking people to sign a petition banning dihydrogen oxide, oh, dihydrogen yeah. monoxide. Monoxide, yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Because it's like this corrosive, uh, you know, chemical, it, and, and uh, yeah, it's it is it's a hilarious. Dark city alien, yeah, bringing it. We're back. one of the ones from Alien Nation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They they try to play it up like it's Americans are ignorant, but it's really just people. Oh God! You could if go, someone did that to me about what's going on in like Finland, I would have no friggin' idea. Yeah, or even another province. What's the going only on in reason province? we know what's going on in the states is because like three quarters of our media is American. Right. <laughs> That's the only reason. I just I sometimes feel bad that it doesn't go the other way because Canada has like really amazing stuff that the States doesn't get. Like the tea party you're going to go see? Yeah. Or like how no one in the States seemed to understand the tragically hip concert that every single Canadian watched <laughs> on the same day. And the tragically like, hip, Who's the that? tragically hip are pretty popular here in Washington. Yeah. Because a lot of people were like, who are they? And you're like, oh, yeah, my no, God. They're, they're pretty well-known in my area. Um, and did you talk about the Tea Party? Are you talking about the band, the Tea Party? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know the Tea Party. You're going to go see them next week? Yeah, next weekend. Nice. For the second time. Nice. Very cool. I, I, I'm not familiar with a lot of their stuff. I have one of their albums, Splendor Soulless. Um, but the songs that really, I think, appealed to me were like The River and the, and the, the one the about the Grand Bazaar. Yeah. And then there was one other one that I can vaguely remember. But that's from when I was a kid in the 90s. So. Back when music was awesome. <laughs> Back when you could find music on TV. <laughs> yeah. It's not on TV anymore. Nope. We watched uh, Kicking It Old School and Jamie Kennedy at one point comes out of his coma. He goes to watch MTV. He's like, what happened to all the music videos? It's just teenage girls crying. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. There's still good music. Oh, yeah. It's just... Not as easy to find music videos as it was. I miss alternative and industrial music. I feel like that's kind Trent of... Trent Reznor's still uh, cranking stuff out. Oh, he is. Yeah. And I listen to all of it, but... I feel like with alternative and industrial, it's the same bands that I love then doing it now, and I don't find a lot of new stuff. Like, I, lo- I like a lot of new, like, electronic music and different genres, but I don't know what's going on... Like with new alternative and industrial music. Like I'll still I still listen to Skinny Puppy and I'll still listen to Nine Inch Nails, but a new band? Like, I don't know. Yeah. 
Where did he even go to find that? I don't know. I'm old now. I don't know what's new. <laughs> I think I teach because I find out new music from my students. Ever heard of Ghost BC? No. You like metal? Uh, Dylan does more. Yeah, it's more my thing. I like it more I'll people sing. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you a link. It, it's uh. I discovered them recently because my local radio station was playing one of their songs, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, so it's really heavy instrumentally, but the vocals are very melodic. So oh, it's so not. Yeah, uh, I'd probably like that then. Yeah, because she's in the, she likes Fear Factory and, and things like that. I, I'm absolutely in love with this, this fucking band. I can't stop listening to this, their most recent album. And their earlier albums are dope as hell, too. I'm excited um, now. This is going to be good. She says she doesn't like metal, but then she listens to Sepultura and Soulfly. I don't like screaming metal. This is not screaming. The yeah. the vocals are very melodic and soothing. Beautiful. And uh, this album, I think that I sent you a link to, is called Meliora, and it's a fantastic album. I'm excited. I can't now. stop listening to it. I'm definitely gonna look that up. Yay! There it is. <laughs> <laughs> should we like? Yeah, we should probably think about wrapping it up. This is gonna be close to it's a two-hour really episode. Really long. Two and a half hour epic episode. I Sweet. It was a good one though. I'm. It's gonna be hard finding anything to cut. So I probably just won't. Well, there was that there's break. Of, there was the drink break. Yeah. There's a lot of probably gaps of dead air. Which will add up to about a minute, maybe, total. <laughs> and then and then I'll probably add in a couple of audio clips. So it'll, it'll all equal out in the end. There you go. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us. Not a problem, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, can I plug my shows? Absolutely. Yes. To, to anyone who actually listened to all two and a half hours up to this point. <laughs> Deaddriftshow.com. You can check out Dead Drift, the, uh, the episodic web serial that uh, is uh, dead or red dwarf inspired. It's just a couple of silly weirdos on a spaceship doing crazy things. And then I'm currently in production on a uh, kind of a dark, noir, supernatural thriller called Penny Palabras, uh, which you can find out uh, info on that at pennypalabras.com. And I'll link to all this in the description on the website. Sweet. Thanks, man. Appreciate no it. problem. Hey, man, I love the show. So anything I can do to, to get you more views, I'm down. I appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me on tonight, guys. I appreciate Absolutely. It. We'll do this again, too. Yeah. Sounds good. You guys take care. You too, man. All right. Later. Good Bye. night. <laughs> Bye. This has been Welcome to Planet Bob. If you know any shows or movies you think we should discuss, find me on Twitter, at King of Bob. That's at... King underscore of underscore Bob. And Derek, you can find me at LarsM on Twitter, L-A-R-Z-M. And this is Sarah. I'm on Tumblr at Welcome to Planet Bob. You can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Welcome to Planet Bob. Thanks for listening to our show, and we hope you tune in next week.